Can't nobody cast like us. We're just two kings in a pot. Two kings in a pot, pot. It's your boy Free Blanche with your boy C. Will Holler, and we have the hottest podcasting experience you will ever listen to. We are two kings in a pot. Let me say it twice because there's two of us. Two kings in a pot. Oh, baby, what did you do with your father's old podcast? Mama, we smoked the podcast. Two kings in a pot. I used to call it a podcast, but now I call it a podcast. You know, that straight guap, you know, 120, 140, 160. Two kings in a pot. It is the best thing you will ever let your ears listen to. See Will Holler, Free Blanche, Two Kings, sent down by the podmaster himself. That is G-O-D. And it's a podcast. Straight It's your boy, C. Will Holler. It's deeper than rap. Hey, hey, the pod, pod. It's not a podcast, it's a pod experience. Hey, man, I can't even call it a podcast no more, man. I gotta call it podcast, man. It was straight wop. Wait for it. Be clear. Be It's your boy, C. Will Holler, a.k.a. the Podfather, a.k.a. the Professional Conversations. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> All right, let me start over. It's your boy, C. <laughs> oh, man. All right. It's your boy, C. Will Holler, a.k.a. the Podfather, a.k.a. the Professional Conversationalist, a.k.a. the hardest working man in podcasting. You are now tuning in to Two Kings in the Pod with my co-host, Mr. He is Blanche. This is episode number seven. Blanche, what's up, baby? What's up, y'all? This your boy, He is Blanche, a.k.a. Free Blanche, a.k.a. <laughs> B. Diddy, a.k.a. B. Dizzle, a.k.a. Blanche Radamus. What's up, y'all? What's good? Blanche Radamus. <laughs> Blanche Stradamus, indeed. We definitely need to catch up on some of the topics that we covered the last time we were on. Episode number six. When we recorded the last podcast, topic comes top of mind for me. Mr. Just Say Smoulet. The boy with the beignets. Well, listen, he don't use Bengay. He use Bengay. <laughs> no, what's up, man? What's up? What, what, what's your take on what the recent events, Mr. Smullett? Well, you know, we all agree when we first heard the story, it was, you know, suspect. It was faker than Monopoly money. It was suspect like four black men in the old cutlass. It, it, it was suspect just like... We knew we was fishing. Yeah. The more the information came out, the more we were like, something is not adding up. You know, right. we know usually with crimes, it's it's a certain kind of... It's a pattern. It's a pattern. It's a relatability. But, yeah. So, so Jesse's story was fishy like the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> uh, you know, that thing was fishy like Red Lobster. But anyway, so after all that happened, 
now the new news came out. The Nigerian guys have apologized for their role and everything. Um, I think Jesse's only been quoted as saying one thing since then, and that is disappointed when they asked him how he felt about everything. But I'm going to say this, Chris. I believe that what really did him in was that interview he did with uh, Robin Roberts. Roberts. That interview made people really question him because he, he's a bad actor. And so in the interview, it was just bad acting. Like, it, it just looked bad. And I think even she, at one point, she looked at him like, are you serious? Like, <laughs> she even looked at him crazy. And I know if anybody wanted to champion his cause, it would be her. Facts. And and she wasn't even, she was looking at him just cross-eyed. And and I watched the interview about three times, man, and I was just like, he don't even realize how bad he looks like. Like, he looks bad. Like, he looked bad. I'm pretty sure when he had a chance to, when he had a chance to see the interview, I'm pretty sure he hopefully realized uh how bad he looked in the situation. And I know when I saw the Robin Roberts interview, again, like I said, Mr. Mijua Candy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> at first it piqued my interest. When I saw that interview, oh, he had my attention. <laughs> the interview, it, it, the interview was bad on so many different levels but to me the worst part about the interview was and and I get that the <clears throat> the crescendo was this him coming out like the hero you know? yes like he, he he stood up for what was right he stood up for for justice and and I understand that you definitely want to stand up for yourself but not now he stood up for justice he stood up for justice <laughs> Well, he laid down for anything. <laughs> that bad, that script was bad, man. That was a bad script, man. Yeah. But I don't want to absolve Lee Daniels. I believe that <laughs> this was Lee Daniels doing. I believe that this was a Lee Daniels script. And mm -hmm. I believe that Lee Daniels put him up to this so that he could put him in this gay superhero movie. I figured Lee Daniels was like, if I can get a real life gay hero, it's easier to pitch for a film. Mm -hmm. And I think his goal was to make Jesse Smollett a hero, and then he'd be able to put him in this movie and then everybody would go see it and he would make tons of money. The end result of all it was just the money. It wasn't yeah. the craft, it wasn't, it was just the money. And I feel like Lee Daniels taking that post down told me everything. Mm -hmm. Maybe Jesse called him. He said, "What'd you do?" Well, I mean, it, they they said the right. They said uh, this is mega country, and and and, and was like, "No, not like that." They had to do this, and they had to. <laughs> how many booze you got? Well, I, I got a few scratches. Like, no. So I, I can just imagine their conversation after it happened. So Lee Daniels, I'm telling you now, you were part of it too, and and you owe you owe Dave some some money. So. Like I said before, pay him, then come after me. Facts. All right. Well, meanwhile, in R. Kelly news, he was just released on bail. Mm -hmm. And I found that very interesting to 
and I don't know if the story is true, right? Because I'm only following this through social media. Mm-hmm. But what I came across was some, was some information about uh, a, a young lady going to bond him out, uh, paid, ponied up a hundred thousand dollars of her own money, ten thousand for the bill, to, to to get R. Kelly out of jail. Or was it a hundred? Was it a million dollar bill or was it a hundred thousand dollar bill? It was a hundred thousand dollars. So ten thousand, ten racks. No, no, no. She paid a hundred thousand dollars because he had a million dollar. Oh, a million dollar bill. She paid a hundred yes. racks then. Yes. But she said it, she used his money. But everybody said he didn't have no money going into jail. You know, one thing I love about people talking about no money. Now listen, if I say I don't have any money, that means I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> that means I'm downstairs eating potted meat. That means I don't have any money. <laughs> eating potted meat and you don't even eat meat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't even eat. I'm eating pot. I don't even eat meat. So when I say I don't have money, I don't have money. When R. Kelly said he don't have money, he don't want y'all to touch his money. It's a difference. Facts. So he got money. He has money. He's rich. It's just that he don't want everybody coming out of his money for these silver suits. I get it. So you think he gave her some stash money? Man, he, he gave her stash money. He gave her attic money, basement money, <laughs> in the kitchen cabinet money, in hush, the Bible money, hush, hush money, money <laughs> plush money. money, plush money. Let me peel. You don't say nothing money, all kind of money, man. <laughs> but the irony, Chris, is She's a day. She has several businesses, but she's a daycare owner, though. Like, I just find that ironic. Like, they Mo- keep telling me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I, there's a lot of middle-aged black women that own daycares. It's easy money. It's easy money. <laughs> <laughs> it's that kid money, especially in the hood. Yeah, that voucher money. That voucher you know? money. That government money. That government money. That Section Eight money. So uh, she. I don't know. Trump tapped. He he. he listen. He, oh yeah. He yeah yeah. He yeah, he, he, he yeah. putting taps on that. Yeah yeah. He like yeah, so y'all getting over. He, he putting caps on that. Yeah. Yeah. Look too much like reparations. Y'all getting the free housing. <laughs> getting the free housing and raising kids in there and getting paid to do it. Facts. Not a bad setup. No. Yeah, they still owe us. And they still owe us. Well, let's catch up on the podcasting world, man. What's going on with the Dirty Soapbox? I haven't seen any new episodes. Yeah, I've been uh, training for a new position. So I'm going to get everything uh, back up and running this weekend. Got it. You know, I need some time. to. Uh, I've been time managing. I've been, uh, <laughs> you know, mastering my time, as I said earlier. So that's what I've been working on. So... Now I know how to schedule and basically just make the important things the important things. And the things that aren't, they just aren't. So Facts. You prioritize your life to get the best results. What made you pay attention to the time aspect of your life? Well, this position, I just realized that I'll probably be working a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so I realized my time is going to be in limited supply Mm -hmm. so that so that makes everything i do outside of my job more precious so if it comes to podcasting music clothing or anything we do 
it's going to have to be very specific and even working out have to be very specific and very specific and uh tailored to my life you know my time is money as they always say facts but now it really is money <laughs> no when you're rubbing the microphone keeps rubbing up against your my shirt sweater yeah okay go. let me do this let me do this there you go okay. yeah no man that's good to hear um well congratulations on the new opportunity part and one. it's a career not a job a career i'm sorry let me specify that yeah career no absolutely career. absolutely yeah. um congratulations on it appreciate it i like to see my brothers evolve and right now you're evolving you know yeah. you're, you're setting yourself up for success by prioritizing your time and before we started podcasting you gave me a quick rundown on some scripture that you are applying or that is applicable to mastering your time. Do you want to share that with the listeners? Yeah, it's a parable about the talents in the Bible. And it's basically about God giving one guy, what do you give one guy five talents, one guy four talent, three talents, one guy one talent. The one guy that had five talents, he ended up coming back with 10 talents. Mm-hmm. And the one the one that had three talents came back with six talents. And then the one that had one talent, he buried his talent. Mm-hmm. And I used to think about that parable as like someone burying their talents. Mm-hmm. And I used to think about somebody not basically reaching their potential. Mm-hmm. But this week I had a revelation and I realized that it was a lesson in time. And since God gives us a limited amount of time it's like it, time is like the greatest judger of your character if it comes to God in my sense because God operates off of seed time and harvest anyway so it's always a time aspect dealing with God and us anyway so think about it three parts of the day is morning noon night is you know so we're always surrounded by this time aspect because even though time is linear our time on this earth is limited so God is looking at, okay, how are these guys going to use their time? And to me, utilizing your time opens up a way for God to bless you because it proves to God that you are focused on what needs to be done. If you're out there tricking off and jugging, of course, you're not focused on what needs to be done. But if you imagine your time, that means you're saying, I'm setting apart these parts of my day to do this. And guess what? That's godly. On, on the seventh day, God rested. So... There's a time aspect, and think about it. If it was seven day God rested, that means in six days, everything had to be completed. So that means there has to be some time allotted for creating this and creating this and creating this. So I think that when we manage our time, it really makes us more like God because we're utilizing every second that we have on this planet to bring about some change. So that's the revelation I got. I've never seen someone who's successful mismanage their time facts everyone that i know personally or you know through reading books and following people you know who are successful one of the main points of success that they talk about is always time management and i mean that's a high priority for them uh to your point because we all have the same 24 hours in a day you know nobody has 18 nobody has 26 we all got 24 same 24 and how are you going to use them 
Yeah, and what was the old adage they said that if you want to know where a man's heart is, uh, follow his wallet and where he spends his time. Yes, I would agree with that one hundred percent. So yeah, so if I want to be successful, I gotta manage my time, and even like this podcast, it's involved time management. Facts. You know, so everything we're doing in life to be successful or going towards our goals is going to involve some kind of time management. Even if I want to, you want to be an artist, you got to set aside time to write. You got to set aside time to practice your craft. Mm-hmm. You got to set aside time to record the songs. Mm-hmm. You got to set aside. So it's a lot that goes into being successful. That's why most people you see now is so microwavable because they're not going through the steps. They're just, they're striking gold quick. And then they look in the pan and it's pyrite. <laughs> and then what you gonna do? Go back to the drawing board, I guess. Go back to the drawing board, but guess what? You never put in the time to create no, no no schematics for a drawing board. So you go to the drawing board and look empty. You don't have a utensil to write with. You didn't learn your lessons in school. You never got your marks. <laughs> so what you gonna do on that drawing board? <laughs> I get Wiley Coyote credit for one thing. He was a genius. He was a jug. But he was a genius. He was a so, genius, that Jude, yes. So when he went to the drawing board, he had the perfect plan, but he never accounted for his jugging. <laughs> and so even in my life, I had to account for the jugging. I had to stop wasting time, Chris. This, I got less, this lesson in one week. Facts. You know what I'm saying? So You know what so made that, you learn that lesson? What? You saw some real opportunity. Facts. When people came to you, and I can tell you, I noticed the change in how you were saying how they came to you. The way they came to you, it was through the admiration of you as you as as you being a person of character. Mm-hmm. So it kind of puts a different spin on things when people come to come to you and come through you, and they they approach you through your character. Mm-hmm. Right? They say everybody like Lavelle. Everybody appreciates Lavelle. This job is for you. This opportunity is for you. And when something is specific for you, you should and you did. So congratulations. You should and you did take the opportunity seriously. Thanks. Yeah, and I and I appreciate that. Well, won't he do it? See, didn't he do it? <laughs> he did do it. He did do it. It so look, we pretty soon we'll be like it's done. <laughs> well, listen, the facts. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the topic of speaking truth to power. Okay. You have a podcast, the Dirty Soapbox. I have a podcast. In my mind, everybody knows Chris. I have several other podcasts. I have the Men Show. I have Quick Wit. I record Wednesday Groove with Mika Joy, and I'll have another podcast with Bridget the Go Coach coming up, probably towards the end of this month. I feel that this podcasting platform allows us to speak truth to power, and I wanted to talk about podcasting while black. Pod blacking, huh? <laughs> or black party? Black party. That's funny. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Why is that funny? 
I don't know. My spirit just had me laughing. I don't, I don't know. It's just funny, man. Podcasting while black because there's a difference. It's a difference. There's podcasting and there's podcasting while black. And I and I bring that up because as a black podcaster or a podcaster who happens to be black, how do we cut through the noise? Can I say this? Uh, I'll give you an example on what I think. You know, I had an idea and I said, you know, I said, Chris and Rob are really trying to, you know, brand themselves. And I was like, really, not brand, but just making moves towards their dreams and their goals. Mm -hmm. And I said, so I said to myself, it need, people need to see it. Like, it's one thing to have a podcast and art, but it's one thing for people to actually see. I just felt like if y'all had hats... <laughs> Because y'all wear hats and y'all are into fashion, it would, it would. I just felt like it would speak because people would be like, "What does that mean?" Mm -hmm. Like people would ask questions because, to me, what what you all are doing and what we are doing is extending beyond podcasting, art, music. It's like, it's, it's something it's, else. It's, it's like, a movement. It's a movement. Yeah, that's why I'm for a movement. So, I'm thinking about hashtags to put on the back of each, each of our hats, mm -hmm. and. I get to Rob's and I'm like, okay, Rob is the art of bass. And, you know, I get to mine, the Dirty Soapbox, I hashtag it, you know, two kings is two kings. But I was like, okay, do I put C. Will Holla, hashtag C. Will Holla, or do I put, I was like, what do I put to make somebody look at this hashtag and, at, and say, what is that? Like, so I said, and I thought, I said, this dude is literally... The pod father for real, because he got like ten. <laughs> he got like ten podcasts. No, I mean you got ten podcasts. I'm like, he is the pod father. <laughs> like, so I said, I gotta put pod father. So I had to call her back and tell her change it to the pod father because it was see what holla at first, mm -hmm. and I'm glad I did because the pod father is who you are as far as this. Mm -hmm. You are C. Will Holler in real life, but in this entity, I mean, you still, it's all you, but this is, you are the podfather. More like Clark Kent becoming Superman. Like, you you the podfather. This is, you all do a little skit where you, we wouldn't understand. You got your cape <laughs> on. Or do like, you know, do like a um, a photo shoot. You look like James Brown, kind of, you know, with the hair <laughs> and the cape. And you got the podfather, you know what I'm saying? That'd be dope, though. Instead of a cape, I'll have a hoodie. A hoodie, you know what I'm saying? Just yeah. anything be like James Brown, you know. <laughs> well, I am the hardest working man in podcasting. Facts. <laughs> but what I like most about it is, again, like I said, truth to power. And not in the sense that we are oppressed, because yes, we are oppressed uh, in some form or fashion or another. Yeah. You know, not like 50s and 60s oppression. But, but I say truth to power because it's our perspective it's, yes. our, it's our story and it's a way for us to tell our stories as we see it you know yes. like I, I use that line from you know Martin and Biggie's song when he says I want to talk about my life I want to tell it how it is as I see it Yeah, and, 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 and that's why I bring up podcasts on Wild Black because I think to be able to hear a voice like Mika's to hear Whitney's point of view and yes. perspective to hear your point of view and perspective and to hear from people like Lamar yeah, and, and even the guests that we have on. Even Jason. Uh, Jason Tyler, the person, absolutely. Um, 
our stories are about beauty, passion, and pain. But to me, all of our stories are about triumph. Facts. I, I would agree 100%. And, and listening to everybody's podcast from Mika, um, Lamar's, yours, uh, Jason, and um, I slipped my mind, uh, Whitney, um, is growth. Facts. And it, 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 there's no regression in the podcast. So to me, I know it's real. Mm-hmm. That's how I know it's real because the podcast is growing and the person is growing. So I said, so yeah, it, I mean, it's a blessing to listen to them. It's a blessing to be a part of it. But you say truth to power and you're right. It, it is our story. And it's our story being told from how we want to tell it. And there's nobody in the background with a script nobody with another narrative they want to slide in it's actually us telling the truth and people are going to it resonates with people because it's real facts you know our stories get told all the time and it's not about us i'm like how are most of the black movies not done by black people it don't make any sense facts but they're telling our story but it's not us telling the story and i just you know, Steve Harvey apologized for saying he learned his lesson for, you know, trying to help somebody and whatever. But I'm like, you didn't help nobody. All you did was tell somebody the other version of the story. You didn't give her the real truth. You, you could have told her the truth. Facts. Tommy Davidson said it best. He said the real thing is <clears throat> the joke's being played on us. He said no other race, Chris, has their business talked about like we do for everybody. I mean, public display, public consumption. And you know what he said? That come from the auction block days. We Facts. was on public display. We couldn't keep no secrets. We had to talk in the open. We couldn't go nowhere and hide and talk. He said that mentality is prevalent today. And mm-hmm. I see it. So us, though, is different because guess what? Y'all got a narrative floating around. It's a few of them. There's a black narrative, there's a white narrative, there's a woke narrative, there's a we got our own narrative. Well, I the think truth. we got the right yeah, we got yeah, the right the narrative. Truth. Because we're true. We're coming from our perspective. No cap, no jug. No jug, no cap. I like that quote by Tommy Davidson. What where did that come from? It was an interview where they asked him about what do you think about the whole Steve Harvey thing? And Tommy Davidson was like the joke's on us. He was like, it's on us. He's like, it's, he said, we the ones that they use us for everything. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't get paid. They get, he's like, he just went through the whole thing. He's like, it's, it's us. And he said, at the end of it all, we're the ones fueling the machine. At the end of the day, we the ones got the talent. All day long. I, I say that all the time. What would sports be without black people? What would fashion be without black people? What would music be without black people? What would social media be without black people? What would life be without black people? Okay. We just saw everybody watching the Oscars. Why? Is it coincidentally that there's a whole bunch of black people in there winning awards? Mm-hmm. Of course. Everybody tuned in. I guarantee. I don't have any stats, facts, or nothing. I guarantee this was the highest rated Oscars. I guarantee it was. You know why? Because people want to see black people win. In the end. In the end. They want to see a different narrative. Mm -hmm. The average person walking around here, Chris, they know we great, man. 
They do. They know it. Them folks don't like you just because they like you. They like you because they see something in you. Agreed. So yeah, uh, yeah. Truth to power. power no, I like I like because I want to talk a little bit about the Oscars, right? Um, <clears throat> when we talk about some of the black movies that came out last year, you know, Black Panther comes top of mind. Green Book comes top of mind. Um, give me give me another black movie that came out that was pretty popular. If, if Bill Street could talk, um, the Black Klansman. There you go. Uh, movie with the one black girl. Um, the Hate You Give. Uh, that was a good one. Yeah, because that gave a real insight on how she had juggled between them two worlds and how slick they get to talking to you and how they and, turn. And that's a narrative that is 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 starting to be told, but we've yes. had to deal with that our entire existence. Facts. Uh, that movie came out too. Sorry for the sorry to bother you. Oh yeah, yeah. How do we forget about that one? Sorry yeah. to bother you. That was a real good one. That was real good, deep. So I like that. that was, I like that. Yeah, it was a really yeah. good movie. Um, well, Black Klansman. What was your take on that? I didn't like it, and I'm gonna tell you why I didn't like it. I just have a problem with black films in general on character development. <clears throat> if I have a character in a film, like let's say 300 comes to mind right now, in the movie it's a narrator telling you how the Spartans lived, mm-hmm. right? Then they show you a boy getting sent out to the wil- to the wilderness and he has to survive on his own. Mm-hmm. But they make you think that that character, Leonidas, so they kind of put you in a mind frame of what children that made it back were like. He came back with the wolf's fur on him. He came back as a conqueror, a champion, and king. So you get an idea of why Leonidas is why he is. Black films get lazy in the sense that They'll give you a time period, they'll give you a subject, and give you somebody black, and you're supposed to figure everything out. So the character just jumps into the role as this. I'm like, for a man to want to infiltrate the clan, we have to have some kind of reference to what to do. He had to have been a G. What was the catalyst? Like, yeah. What was it? So the guy they had in the film, Denzel's son, Isaiah Washington? <laughs> David. No, my bad. David Washington. Sorry, Isaiah. David Washington, uh, the way they portray this character, I'm like, there's no way this guy would have been. It's just, it, 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 I can't. He riding in the car, this Molotov cocktail bomb shootouts. It, it, he's not going to be this quick. He mm-hmm. got to have some kind of G about him. He infiltrating the black, the black uh, nationalist people, infiltrated like he has to have some kind of G. And they just made him kind of. Kind of like how they made Miss Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel. Now, I just, I just can't, I can't relate to the character. Yeah, the character was kind of bland. Um, I thought it was a decent movie. Yeah, it was decent. It, I, I'm harsh. It did. No, no. I mean, you, your choice is your choice. Your words are your words. Your opinion is your opinion. It just, it didn't strike a chord with me in that sense. I thought it was decent. Like, yeah. I didn't hate it. I didn't care about it too much either. Maybe I expected more from the movie because Spike Lee did it. I think we all expected more from the movie. Okay. You know, I mean, I think the only moment that I got is towards the end when they jammed the lady up 
when she was trying to plant the bomb and you know the car ended up blowing up and killing her husband which was fantastic <clears throat> fantastic great scene best scene in the whole movie best scene in the whole movie um the dude Topher Grace who plays David Duke did a really good job though excellent job and I hate it because I'm like we'll be talking about black folks but the white it's just tough but he did a great job <laughs> he did a great job he I got a great job yeah I gotta give him credit on that um Black Panther So I had a good friend of ours and we, we discussed this about uh, him saying that Black Panther was uh, beneficial to black people and it was a, a catalyst for black I don't I don't know what he's trying to say but black prosperity, black change black black change, black revolution I don't know, listen I always watch movies and you and I do this we always watch the movie in three levels we watch it for the entertainment facts value of it we watch it for the the i guess the the message the message of it but then we watch it for what are they really trying to say like the, how does it resonate with our, the hidden message the hidden message like what is it speaking to our spirit what is mm -hmm. it saying to the people to me what black panther told me was wakanda and all this greatness wakanda and everything and its technology and everything in the end was subject to white people. You had one guy that was an agent that went in working for white people and he went in there to basically destroy Wakanda and go, I guess, quote unquote, free the world. You had uh, T'Challa bringing the white guy back, which he shouldn't have did because they said, let him die, but he just wanted to save him and be a good guy. And then everybody's fighting, Chris, outside of the castle and the white guy's in the driver's seat of the castle. He's sitting in the chair, which is symbolic of the throne. Mm. And on the ground, you got the red people wearing red, fighting people wearing blue. What is that? It's just like Bloods and Crips. But the director is clever. What the director did was he gave us a great film, but he also gave us a message. Mm -hmm. And he was like, don't let these white people get inside the throne, AKA get inside your head, AKA get that white consciousness mm -hmm. get get that black consciousness with a white psychology so oh I like that, that that black consciousness with a white psychology so that's what to me black I got from Black Panther now most black people saw it as black people doing great mm -hmm. and I'm like it is a superhero movie and we've had those movies before Shaq did a black superhero mm -hmm. in Steel he did um your boy uh, Michael Rob J. White plays yep. Spawn. Robert Me Robert Townsend, Me Meteor Man. Mm -hmm. um, your boy Black Man, David Wayne. <laughs> yeah. So we've seen black superheroes before. So this movie wasn't the first of its kind. It was a great movie. I knew it would break records because it showed us in our best light, mm -hmm. and it showed us existing without white people. It showed us being great without white people or white influence. It, it showed us. Matter of fact, the, it showed us being better than white people without white influence. Okay, so most black people aren't getting that message from the film, though. And most black people are seeing it from a commercial standpoint because mm -hmm. they, they get to wear these shirts, they get to wear this Black Panther. It, it's like a black people looking for something to hold on to in a sea of racism. Like it's, it's a life preserver of 
we always grabbing for something to pull us out of this sea of racism instead of just tying an anchor to ourselves and going deep down in it. And guess what? Turn the one of creatures down there, you know, with the, with the lights hanging, <laughs> with the teeth, with the eyes glowing. That's what we got to do. Turn the one of them things. Got to go into the abyss, huh? Yes. Remember that movie Leviathan? Yeah, I do. Okay, we got to go down there and turn to something different. We trying to avoid, we trying to get saved. No. So, Black Panther was a great film. I'll let you talk though. It was a great film, but it it didn't liberate black people. It didn't liberate me. No, I thought I thought it was a great film too. Uh, I definitely do watch movies on, uh, like you said, three different levels. Um, I was entertained. Uh, I did personally. I didn't think it was the best Marvel movie in that Marvel, you know, cinematic universe. You I know what we like. Oh, I, which one? Yeah. Them Captain Americas, you know what Listen, I mean? Listen, like, man, Civil War, I'm trying to tell you. But Listen. Captain America, Civil War, and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Excellent movies, because it's all action. Um, I definitely like Infinity War as well. Infinity great, War was a great, great movie. Talk to me a little bit about your personal take on Thanos. Uh, I like Thanos. And, and, and Thanos is the... Thanos, to me, represented justice. And in the sense that everybody is jugging. And even he was jugging at one point. But then he gets to a point where he said, you know what? Something got to change. It's not about me. And people missed that part of the movie. He he made a decision to make it not about him. Mm-hmm. That's why when you when we watch the film, he sits beneath this throne, but he never gets back on it. Mm-hmm. And that's symbolic of God coming down in human form, trying to save the people according to the Bible. It's kind of leaving your throne to sacrifice yourself for the greater good of the universe. And so Thanos' character may seem harsh, but he's actually has a just cause because what he is bringing is balance. And you and I know anything unbalanced is an abomination. Mm -hmm. So to want the universe to be balanced is a righteous thing. But the Avengers represent to me the selfishness in all of us. Because all everybody cared about in the Avengers was somebody they cared about, somebody they loved, specific. The one dude, Vision, was caring about the, the Scarlet Witch. And the, the one person was caring about, Captain America cared about his team. And the one people cared about, you know, Wakanda. Everybody cared about what they cared about. Not thinking that what he's about to do is going to save the entire universe. Everybody's thinking about their immediate circle. So I thought Thanos represented justice and, and payment due. Everything we're doing now, there's going to come a time we got to check out. We all in the, in the shopping in the in Walmart now. <laughs> put, put items in them cars. Yeah, you got to check wanna, out. Now you can go through the self checkout, or you can go through the lady or the other checkout. But you're going through the checkout. Facts. No, no, Thanos' character to me um, definitely had more of a universal arc, um, and it, and it just to me he was. The consciousness of the universe. Facts. He was unbiased. Um, he was unwavering, unflinching. Like I, again, when I saw him in his fight with, you know, the Hulk, like the Hulk is all rage. So he's he's not even conscious almost, right? Yeah. Like he's so angry, and, he, and he's fueled off the anger. Like yeah. Thanos, and when uh, the mob told the guy, like, "Yo, let him have his fun." Yeah. He knew Thanos needed a challenge. Right, and he yeah. accepted the challenge. But once, you know, Hulk rattled off a couple combos, Thanos was like, "Well, okay, hold on, let me get real." And when yeah. he got real, Hulk couldn't touch him. No, 
and that's how life is you know what i mean like we we like you say uh, and i love to say um the way people like to live their life through mottos quips quips quotes and memes but, yeah but when life come at you you got to have them hands you got to be ready right yes. but you have to be unbiased about it like this is why you and i talk about facts of feelings right we live life through fact not through our feelings we facts. are emotional we do have feelings but we don't live our life through our feelings like, no we basing our judgments and our things on things that are character based things that are going to benefit everybody not just us and I, and i think that's what thanos represented to me because even in the point where he was talking about his own home world he said and i quote it was not going to be beneficial to the rich it was it was going to be just a lottery rich or yeah. poor alike you know yeah. everybody can get it anybody can get it yeah good or bad way anybody can get it that's right and so yeah so i, I love i like i like thanos and you know i like the the fact that you said you got to have them hands when it comes to life and you're right because life got a different combination every day a different combo you know you it was jabbing on monday now it's slipping the hook you know <laughs> and you get an uppercut and then by friday you just kicking you you're the crowd getting kicked you know so and it's funny you mentioned the hawk and you know what's funny about the hawk i watched that movie about probably 12 13 times i know man i love that movie <laughs> and the hawk if you watch that back he did a little signature combo pattern it was kind of like it was like a a move sequence that usually works because you notice it was like boom 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 then uh <laughs> right right now that's hulk's combo remember he was training he was training on the war world and on that little yeah on, yeah for uh the thor movie for, ragnarok yeah, ragnarok so that little combo was would work mm -hmm. you know but even when he got the thor it worked for a second till thor summoned the <laughs> the, the old gods the old god <laughs> but when he went to thanos he saw thanos and he said okay big guy da, 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 okay i know i do this and he went to his little combo for big guy mm -hmm. and well, when I tell you when Thanos grabbed his arms and Hulk looked, <laughs> he knew. Listen, he knew it was over. When when Thanos grabbed his arms up off him, he said, "Oh, it's I'm in for a fight. It's it's over." How many times have you heard me say when your move don't work? Man, listen, that's your when your when that move don't work, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. <laughs> you going on that ride? You going on that ride? And they matter of fact, they Hulk went on two rides. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he said, I'm going to see you to the pearly gates. And then Loki said, nah, we're going to need him later. Listen, let's get him out of here. Got yeah. him to earth. So, um, there are a couple of the black movies that I saw that I thought were pretty good. You mentioned Sorry to Bother You. There was another good one called Blind Spotting. Uh, it was about you know, living and surviving in the system in Oakland. I don't know if you got a chance to see that one. Oh, I want to see that blind spotting. I blind spotting. Yeah, yeah, that's I a like really that good down. one. That's a really good one. Um, it's about a it's about a young black guy who did a little time, and he was hanging out with his white friend 
and his white friend I, again I don't like saying quote unquote act black but his white friend act black or acts black and the movie Blind Spotting is just about how his how his white friend gets to act black but not pay the black tax tax and I guess the dude the, the main character in, in the film he just gets to a breaking point where he's like, look, I can't protect you in that bubble anymore. Like, I got to let you know that there's real consequence to just being black. Yes. Like, what you're doing is a, is a, is a caricature. Is a caricature. Is a character. You, you, you acting right now. I am. Yes. And in that, in that world, you and I talk about the black tax all the time. Yeah. Just the tax on being you, right? Being born black. And like I said, it's a great movie. Um, I definitely highly recommend checking that out if you get a chance. Okay. I want to check out Blind Spotting, man, and Green Book. Yeah, that's the that's that's the one I really want to talk talk about. Green Book winning the Oscar didn't for best film didn't surprise me. I think the backlash is what really surprised me. Um. It has two great actors in the film. Marshahala Ali. Is that how you say it? Marshahala. 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 Marshahala Ali. There you go. And Vigo Mortensen. Vigo. And Marshahala plays Mr. Don Shirley, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, American composer of all time. And that dude is a very, very talented actor. Yeah. Like you said, we talked last time about how you thought, you know, Denzel was Malcolm X. Yes. I don't know or didn't know at the time who Don Shirley was. Mm-hmm. I saw that movie. I thought that dude was Don Shirley. Like He did an excellent job. The movie was believable, which it should yeah. be. Uh, but first and foremost, the movie was entertaining. When I saw the backlash about the 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 ire from the black populace that the movie had won best act uh, best film, um, I, I I was stunned by that. People are comparing it to Driving Miss Daisy, and I could understand black angst about that. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think people were saying, "Oh, I don't care that." the movie is about a white guy driving the black guy around. They were saying that Vigo's character, Mr. Tony Vallelonga or uh, Tony, Tony, the lip, I guess it was his character's name. They were saying like the movie portrayed him as being the savior. And I didn't get that at all. And I actually saw the movie twice. I didn't get okay. that Tony, the lip was the savior at all. I got the fact that, you had these two men who lived in two different worlds, Don Shirley being cosmopolitan, living in the city, being well-traveled, well-versed, spoke many different languages. Mm-hmm. Tony DeLip being, you know, a regular street hustler. Um, he was a bouncer. Um, for, I can't remember the name of the club in the movie, but he, he's a bouncer at the club and, you know, just a regular street person. Mm-hmm. And... Mr. Shirley needs a driver to, to, to drive him through the South. 
which the agent, Don Shirley's agent, hands Mr. Vallalonga the green book to say, you need to get familiar with this book because you are, you're driving with him around. He, y'all can't stay in the same place. And basically you need to, you need to learn the black tax before, yeah. before you go down to the South. Yeah. And there was so much like pushback on this, this, this movie winning the best picture. And I'm like, does a movie have to make a statement for it to be the best picture or are we going to movies to be entertained? <clears throat> I think that the, the first rule of thumb in making a film is to entertain the people. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why am I watching it? Facts. So, so clearly that should be the first thing. And the second thing is black people have to stop looking for things to fill these holes in the black fam whatever the black dichotomy in america mm -hmm. movies aren't going to do it uh songs aren't going to do it shows memes not going to do it it's like these things are not going to do it so i don't know i just i gotta watch the movie um, I've heard some backlash. I know his family was talking about they didn't agree with the story being told from the white guy's uh, perspective. Uh, but, I mean, honestly, it being told from a black guy's perspective would have been probably the norm, maybe. Or, like, kind of like not creative. It's a different perspective to come from a white person's eyes to see racism from... You know how we see it, but how does somebody else see it? Like, how does how do they view it? How is that person relating to the main character? When does that person get an epiphany? Like, you know, those things matter in a film to make it a good film or not. Um, I told somebody like comparing Moonlight to Brokeback Mountain. I said Brokeback Mountain was a good film. I said the film was flagrant. I said, <laughs> but it was a good movie though. I said the movie was well done. I said, so I could watch the movie and enjoy the movie. I said, Moonlight, I wasn't impressed with Moonlight. Because again, there's no character development. It's just showing you black people struggling. Great cinematography, though, because the movie visually is excellent. Mm -hmm. But it's just showing you, it's not, it, it's just being lazy. It's just black people struggling. Oh, he's gay. Let's win awards. Uh, I need a little more than that. I need a little more than just him struggling with being gay. Him being like his mom, his mom is on crack. I just need to see how the character is developed. Not what's going on around him. How is he developing? What's the internal dialogue? So when I'm watching movies, I'm a little more critical. But at the same time, I know it's not going to fix my life. Facts. So it's entertainment at the end of the day. And what I thought about the movie, and this is what I took away from the movie. And I told someone this. I said, listen. I never go to the movies for a history lesson anyway. Facts. I go to the movies to be entertained. You know, movies are 20 something dollars a pop now. I ain't got time to be trying to get a notepad yeah, out. Fa <laughs> listen, and they're going to jam you up if you got your phone out. Facts. So I'm going to the movies to be entertained. So if the movie is number one entertaining and I happen to learn something, which I did learn something because I never heard of Don Shirley until I saw the movie. Me either. So now the fact that I, he's in my lexicon, 
he's in my periphery. <laughs> I get to learn a little bit more about. This is your periphery, y'all. This, this is this is my facts, and that's my periphery. And to learn about this great American pose, composer and his his form and fashion in the way that he dealt with civil rights, right? That's what I took from the movie because mm. what they don't talk about is okay. He fought on three different fronts, you know. He had to fight the fact that he was a black man. He had to fight the fact that he was an educated black man. He also had to fight the fact that he was a homosexual, mm. right? He talks about how he married his wife, but, you know, she didn't speak English that well or whatever, whatever. And he kind of used, you know, his profession to say, I wasn't a good husband. You weren't interested in a woman. And that's okay, because I understand yeah. that he had to live a different life back then. He did. And again, like I learned so much about how he chose to fight against racism and how he chose to fight against racism was to continue to put his black excellence in front of these race, racist white people in the South. Because the, yeah. the one of the characters says, like, he could decide, he's, Mr. Shirley could decide to stay in New York and have people kissing his ass instead he gets on the road and he plays these the, the chitlin circuit basically to bring black excellence to otherwise you know white people who never saw someone in that light and he said yeah they cheer me when i'm on stage but as soon as i come off that stage i'm just a nigger oh yeah facts yeah so i really want to check the movie out i mean you make me want to see it more <laughs> you know, have you have you talk about it? Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say. I, the, again, I'm I'm just stunned at the backlash at the movie because, again, to me, the movie portrays black excellence in a different way, not the way that we're always shown black excellence from that time period, right? Because we're always shown this very, to your point, this very anecdotal buttoned up version of black excellence from the 50s and the 60s. But here it is. We have black excellence that's very different because he's not Malcolm X. He's not Martin Luther King. He's not married. He doesn't have children at the, at the time in the movie. And he's a homosexual. Is he out in the movie? Is he open? He gets jammed up in the movie. I'll just leave it at that. He's not out in the open, but he gets jammed up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I think that again, black people are looking for a way out, and everything seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a boycott, whether it's a, a a movie, whether it's a clothing item, whether it's a, I saw some on social media where a white girl was modeling. It said melanin popping or something. And so all the black folks is enraged and outraged. And I'm like, but white people have melanin too. <laughs> Facts. I'm like, so if you're going to try to make a grandiose statement, make it correct. Like Facts. You, Facts, I not said, feelings. Yeah. So I said, so you all are just trying to make a statement and you're not doing your homework and your research. Mm -hmm. Everybody has melanin. Mm -hmm. So, but we're looking for something. So when I know when they watched the film, it was like white guy told from his story they want to see black people do something they can't do on their job mm -hmm. so we so when we go to the movie we want to see black folks cut up turn up kick over furniture and all this stuff 
and then go to work and wish we could do but that's what the movie's about because the white guy works for the black guy they're not gonna see that okay they're not gonna see that and mr shirley continuously chomped off mr valley longer in the movie and that's what i saw i saw mr shirley like polish Mr. Vallelonga in a way to say, hey, there's more to life than, than a hustle. Yeah. But Mr. Vallelonga was showing Mr. Shirley, like, life is not just about your box. Like, life is about friendship and family mm-hmm. and, 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 and reaching out to you, to, you know, the people that you're connected to. And that's what I took. I, it, it, like, in my book, it was an even swap, no swindle. I didn't see that the white guy it didn't have the white savior trope that people are throwing that that term around and i'm like well how could he save him he was a damn bouncer he wasn't no what was he gonna save him from that penthouse he was staying in i don't know i mean like he, he is a he did do accomplishing everything you you the one driving what was he gonna what was he gonna <laughs> save him from that black angst i guess I don't know, man. We're coming up on time real quick. Let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. All right. It's your boy, C-Will Holler. Your speaker's, your speaker's on. on. Oh, shit. <laughs> as soon as I started talking and I get that feedback. <clears throat> All right. It's your boy, C-Will Holler, and we're back with episode seven of Two Kings in the Pod. Blanchard and I are about to jump into a really, really sensitive, explosive, and expensive topic, the black dollar, black consumerism. Black consumerism is at an all-time high, and I know I live by the adage, put your money where your mouth is, because I don't put my money where my mouth is, (laughs) because I don't know where it's been, But, (laughs) but I definitely am conscious of where... I spend my money, but more in particular, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of who I spend my money with. Well, yeah, you know, I went to the Slutty Vegan, and it's a black-owned vegan restaurant, and I stood in line for three hours, mm-hmm. uh, over three hours. And the food was good, and I figured out that I can go- get the same food later if I just go during the non-peak hours because they stay open until like one I think so but the food is good though mm-hmm. that tastes it tastes like actual hamburgers with bacon I mean like it's it's good and but I waited in, in line for three and a half hours because I wanted to support a black business mm-hmm. like I wasn't going to let my inconvenience make me not support a black business mm-hmm. um, and I saw a lot of folks in line thinking the same thing that we want to support this black business you know some folks there may have been there for it being trendy you know it being the end thing or new thing but the majority of folks there were staying in line to support that woman's business and I wish I hadn't had her name handy but they were there to support her and to me the essence of I don't want to change topics but it's kind of not changing but it's just intensifying this one I really saw what integration did and 
what integration did was kill that black business because we're waiting in line for those for those uh hamburgers burgers can't say hamburgers those vegan burgers impossible burgers uh super impossible burgers because they was (laughs) they were good um but every business around there was eating off of that business so Mm -hmm. the little the potato bar across the street, you know, he's in line, so like, well, we had to support their black business. Then it was a black realtor, realty company right there, and people, and they had their, and they had their houses advertised outside. You could actually, they had a computer outside you could use, touchscreen, to look for houses while they were in the office. Then they had a clothing store. They had kids selling tea. Parents at black parents at home making tea. Kids walking around selling tea. Girls selling Girl Scout cookies. So. People selling uh, clothes, people selling. So I just saw this one business generating business for the entire community. But guess what, Chris? Everybody was eating mm-hmm. off of just this one business. Mm-hmm. You think about it. Slutty Vegan don't answer all your questions. You still got to put on shoes. <laughs> <laughs> you still got to buy. You know what I'm saying? So just by going to Slutty Vegan and you were in the line so long, it just benefited the entire community. Mm-hmm. And I saw two white people there the whole time I was there. I saw white people leaving when I was in line at the end, which means they got there super early so they could be the first one in line to get in there and get out. And then I saw another lady that was with a black person, black lady, and she was waiting in line to get her food too. So I didn't see that much gentrification in the line, even though the area has been gentrified heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, in that West End, uh, West West Ends, West View area, but uh, yeah, Chris, I just saw what integration did in line, and that killed that because what that did was it took value out of our community, and we weren't killing each other and doing all these things because we valued each other. Because mm-hmm. you know why? Like, what do you always say about the money? Your quote. That it answers all things? Well, that's God's quote. I'm talking about... Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, when you say people, about people giving you money. Oh, yeah. That's the only time they show love, really. People love people don't. People who say they love you, they don't love you unless they put money in your hand. Okay, so imagine that being a way of life where we're steadily putting money in each other's hands. We value each other. I said, so once you get rid of all those businesses, now what are the communities left with? There's no more value because like you said, you really care about somebody. When you go into the bake sale and you buying them pies, you buying them cakes, you go into the fish fry or you go into the bootlegger, mm-hmm. you get in the booze, you go into the wheat. We do all these things in the community. Think about it. The wheat man don't get shot that much. The wheat man. <laughs> he really don't. He don't. <laughs> Everybody's straight with him or her. Because you know why? Because most folks go to the weed man to buy weed. Facts. You selling crack, people want that block, that territory. But you selling weed. So, but again, selling weed is more entrepreneurial than selling crack is. Weed is selling weed is more like a business than selling crack is to me because what surrounds you selling weed. People mm-hmm. come to you because you have what? The good weed. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to shoot you. They ain't trying to hurt you. They just want that good smoke. They want the plug. They want the plug. So I just think that integration took that value from us. So black economics to me is the key because 
it will bring value black to how we treat each other. No, I absolutely agree with that. And I like the way you broke that down because when you said, you know, people, well, as you said, I say, people only show love for you when they put money in your hand. And if you think about that, you think about how many times the white dollar circles in white communities, how many times the Chinese dollar circles in Chinese people communities, mm-hmm. the, the, in, the, the Indian dollar circles, that means, you know, circles, the Indian communities, um, and the black dollar only circles the black community, I, I would say less than one time. Because, because to your point, there are no black businesses. Okay, so yes. So the, where can the money circulate to? It's like a drain. Mm-hmm. It has to draw, drain out. So you mentioned the But that's drug. by design. That's, that's it, by design. Fact, it's by design. And, and these white people saw, they said at the rate these black folks are going, they're not going to need us. And when they don't need us, they're going to be, a, we ain't not going to be able to stay here. So they figured out to me, it wasn't tearing the black family up. It wasn't none of that. It was that taking the money out of our community and they used integration. I honestly believe integration was a plan after Lincoln was assassinated because what Lincoln wanted to do was to have all the black people here in America go to South America and colonize, 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 that's the word. Colonize, 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 colonize. What am I saying? <laughs> colonize, colonostomy. What am I saying? But Lincoln wanted us to go down to South America and colonize it. Mm-hmm. And think about that, though. That takes all this black power away from this country. So you know they had to get rid of him. Knock, knock himself off in the little opera in the, in the, yeah. in the balcony. So who else gonna do the work? Okay, so they're like, that plan is not gonna be good for us. So to get rid of him and then, I believe integration was a plan too. And I think that King thought that it was gonna benefit black people. Meaning he was thinking there would be a possible benefit in hopefully white people seeing that we are in you know he was i think he was banking on that yeah until he realized that no it's a set and that's and and that's a quote they never talk about when he said i fear i've integrated my people into a burning building and that's the thing that i think you know if you were to talk about the difference of where Malcolm X was coming from and where Martin Luther King was coming from. Malcolm X was coming from a place of black empowerment and how was you going how are you going to be empowered is you're going to be empowered through black economics. Yes. And then King's later life, he realized the same thing. Mm-hmm. He had the poor people's movement. So he was talking about land ownership. His big, his big thing was land, though. His big thing was having land so you can have your own land because he knew that's where the power is. We only got a certain amount of United States land. And he realized that's where the power was. That's why they didn't want to give us 40 acres. And that's why he said, or a mule. That's why he said, we're going to Washington to get that check. He's talking about reparations. He's talking about going to Washington so he can go and appeal to the UN. We can get reparations. Because you and I know Reparation stands at $1.5 million for every black person in this country. You and I know this. 
and these white folks, they know, listening, y'all know, no matter what stereotype, image they portray of black people, you give us 1.5 million a piece, we're gonna take over. They give us 150,000 a piece. We're gonna take over. So I don't care about the, the narratives and the myths. I know how white folks really feel when it comes to reparations. The one lady came out and said, we need a hundred billion. I said, ain't gonna be enough. <laughs> not, not for what I need with mine, for what mine went through. <laughs> you know what we, I mean? Uh, we need all of it. We need all of it. And listen, 1.5 million plus free education, plus free medical. We get everything everybody else gets. They all get that stuff too. We get everything. So I know and you know that if a parent is getting $1.5 million and a parent knows my child will have medical and will have an education and will and will have a place to stay because you give them a land grant, I guarantee it changes the mindset of so many African black people in this country. Absolutely. Because you don't have to you don't, you don't have to quote, quote unquote scratch it and survive no more. It's like the thing because people don't understand. It's like, and I remember you were talking to me about this film that you showed at one of this, the the classes that you taught about the actual race of race. When you know the white people got started, they got a head start, and the black yeah. people, you know, their start was behind everybody else, and they loaded their back, you know, like full of luggage or something. And that, to me, spoke volumes in terms of what it means to be black in this country. People, I mean, I, and there's one meme that goes around that says this, right? Uh, being black is kind of lit, but it's dangerous. Or, or being black is dangerous, but it's kind of lit. It Thanks. is It is exciting. It is fun. There is a certain power in prestige and mystique. But I don't know. I don't know if it outweighs the pain, the struggle that comes mm. with being black. And I, I think maybe that's a podcast in and of itself. There, There is a lot of pain and struggle. We just got used to it. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee if somebody was to hop in our shoes for a day, they'd be like, God damn, what the... Like, I could see them being like, it'd be overwhelming. Because mm -hmm. you have to deal with the subtleties and the overtness and you got to be able to maneuver through both you got to be able to be your you got to be able to be yourself and at the same time appease everybody else appease everybody else white mm -hmm. and black not just mm -hmm. not just white but black too and and i get that a lot on social media where black people have a narrative and they cling to that narrative that makes them the most comfortable so when just it, it, it isn't it usually a victim narrative always that's why i was asked chris what would you do if you being black didn't matter like what are you going to do if you wake up when tomorrow nobody cares about you being black there's no racism there's no oppression there's no none of that everybody gets treated Based on, they, based on their character, based on the same. I said, how you gonna survive? I said, I can tell you now, most black people are gonna struggle because that's our caveat, is to say that I'm black and this, no. If we all the same, what are you then? Mm. That's how God's looking at us now. And I said, 
y'all gonna be upset to know that the slave and the slave owner are going to get judged the same. Facts. I said, yeah, God, God gonna judge them the same. What did you do as a slave? And what did you do as a slave master? And you gonna get judged. So I said, you're not gonna get no bonus points for struggling on earth. That's why we shouldn't be struggling. <laughs> well, he said, whatever's loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever's bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Since they know the word so much. Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, how are you going to be living in the project section eight and poverty your whole life and then go to and then go to heaven where the streets are gold? This is streets. The, the, the gate is a big pearl and know how to act. <laughs> you've been eating, you've been eating beans and franks and, and drinking hot dog juice. And, and think you finna go to heaven <laughs> where the gate is a big pearl and the streets are translucent gold and there's people walking around with matches and jewels and balling and living a great life and you gonna be and you gonna be accustomed to it you gonna be used to it you've been a crab in the barrel for 90 years of your life and you gonna be accustomed to just living a great life no no -uh. there's gonna there's gonna have to be some levels in that thing there was a good show on stars that they took off only had two seasons called uh survivor's remorse that that was a great show and i think lebron was the producer of the show and it basically showed that kind of that kind of uh dichotomy that you're talking about you know that you had this young guy make it out of the hood make it to the lead now he's all of a sudden wealthy and they dealt with walking on that razor's edge right because you walk in the line of a fine line between two worlds mm -hmm. and it, i thought that was a excellent show and i'm kind of upset that it only got two seasons it must have been too informative it must have been giving some game to the athletes so they was like wait a minute now they they getting a little too smart from this hey, hey, yeah you know how that go yeah <clears throat> All right, so great, great conversation around this topic, and I want to continue to com com uh, the topic around uh, white consciousness versus black thought. Yeah, so black people think black mm -hmm. in our everyday thinking. We think black, but our conscience, our conscience is fighting between what God, how we look in front of God, mm -hmm. and how we look in front of white people mm. and I think those are those are two driving forces that split black people um, so you got some black folks that just focus on God and what God wants them to do and then you got a lot of black folks that say they focus on God and all that stuff but really deep down inside pretty much everything outside the house they're doing is to not look a certain way in front of white people to not talk or it reinforce some kind of stereotype in front of white people and to not basically be a nigga in front of white people. It's to disprove or dispel all the myths, the notions. You hear all the time when people say, you're making black folks look bad. Mm -hmm. um, you're setting the race back. Uh, but what that's really saying is we hold white opinion very high, which means our conscience is white now we think black because we still don't we have no problem stuck on each other mm. you know we we have no problem uh 
being great when it's time to be great. We have no problem with with, with uh, be jug, and we got no problem with anything else. But when it comes to them, then you start to see even the police in the black community. Most criminals in the black community leave the police alone. Mm-hmm. And most police officers are what? They white. So now in Atlanta, in the city, a lot of black police officers. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. But I don't use Atlanta as my litmus test because this is a unique situation. Yeah. It's the exception, not the rule. It's the exception here. So, but yeah. So what uh, I took took from that is white consciousness versus black thought is we're, we're caught between the struggle of what is right versus what is acceptable. Facts to them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, even to ourselves, right? Because if you're saying if my if I have black thought but my consciousness is white, I'm struggling with what's acceptable to me. True facts. Because if I'm going to do what's right, everything that's right is acceptable to me. Yes. But if I have to struggle with my white consciousness, to your point, and, and, and consciously seek their approval or subconsciously, yeah, right, seek their approval for my own existence, which I think, you know, we've been dealing with that for how many generations? 500, 500 years. Right. Have you ever Over found here? yourself um, struggling with uh, subconsciously seeking white approval? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I struggle with it, but I, I, I would say that I know when it arises, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know when it, and I would check myself on it. I mm-hmm. wouldn't, I wouldn't let it manifest, you know, um, but you can feel it creeping on coming up. Yeah, I, I, I can feel it. I mean, even at work now, you know, you try to, because another thing too, is that I saw today a white person at the job, and it's funny as hell because somebody was getting on him, and I'm listening to them, and then <laughs> Chris. So the guy was like, "Man, you got him doing this. You got him going up and down. He, you, 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 you wasting this." He was like, "I said I got it." He's like, "Yeah, but you you wasting this time. You got him doing this. You got I got it." And he was like, "Well," he said, "God damn it!" I said, "I got it." You want to fight about it? And so, <laughs> I mean, just like that, just like yelling, and it, and it got quiet. And then the guys around them changed the subject. Mm-hmm. Then the, the the manager leaves, mm-hmm. and then they all talk. They're just talking, cracking jokes, livening it up. Then when the manager comes back, now everybody's cool. They're all on the same page, and everybody's cool. I said, damn. That's how y'all do it. I I saw it. You know why? Because they see the bigger picture. And even though he said you want to fight, he wasn't offended by him saying that because he understood that he was upset. That's why he left. He didn't he didn't make him being upset personally. What racism has done to black people is made us very very sensitive. Mm-hmm. So. Even with each other, we have a short fuse with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, black person cuts you off, mother, you. <laughs> sound, sound like Master P. Nigga, nigga, nigga. <laughs> Swap, nigga. <laughs> Swap, nigga. 
No, but that's, yeah, that's good stuff. Keep going, man. So, uh, but I just saw how they interact with each other, and mm -hmm. I realized that they don't have the other side of what we're talking about. No, they don't. They don't have the black thought. All they got is the white consciousness with the white thought. Facts. So they don't have, it's not a struggle. It's not a uh, a tug of war. It's not a... Well, like you said, they don't have the sensitivity that comes with being white, right? Because, and, and, and you and I both have seen, to your point about this story, the very few times that they are truly infringed upon. Like they yeah. really, they you, they really looking like they about to pass out. Like that, yeah. they just lost all kind of gravity. This the the world, the sky is falling. Everything is is coming down, and it's like that's our life, day in day out. You wouldn't be able to do that. Oh no, no. You want to you want you want to fight? You want to oh. do something about it? You you probably might not have made it out of there with your life. And it and it's just the way he said it. He said it like I'm I'm tired of you, but but everybody understood. And that was his boss. He said this to. He said this to his man. Yes. Wow. Yep. And I realized something. They don't have no struggle looking out for each other. You know why? Because no. when they had to, when they had work, they all in together. Mm -hmm. See, mm -hmm. like. When they're in their communities, think about it. They haven't lost value with white because white still spend with white. Mm -hmm. People still go to the Walmart, the CEO of Walmart's white. People know who own Bath, 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 Bed and Beyond or whatever the story is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people, so white still shops with white. Mm -hmm. And to me, that goes back to that thinking black but my conscience is white and i and i'm thinking if and i'm thinking I, if i get this gucci i'll be able to stun on these people that look like me but what's the flip side to that thinking i can do what white people are doing and you know what's crazy chris i know this gonna sound bad y'all it is what it is it's the truth moment what mika said it's the truth moment <laughs> Mika Joy, shout out to Mika Joy. It's the truth moment. <laughs> when I see a girl with that Louis Vuitton purse, mm. you can call it what you want to call it. I will not fool with her. Because there's something about them girls with them Louis bags. And I ain't been let down yet. <laughs> it is a certain thought process and attitude that comes along with that Louis bag. I'm sorry. Black women. I don't know about white. I'm talking about black. Mm. I'm sorry. What consumer item would you say that same mentality is associated with black men? Because I have a few in my mind. I think black men is what? The shoes? Cars. Cars. Okay, cars. That, that charger? What? The charger? Gosh. What's the What's up, Toop? The challenger. <laughs> <laughs> my boy Toop got to hear me, y'all. He just got in the wreck. He's okay now, but my boy got to hear me, though. You got the Charger. You got the Challenger. Hell, you got any any nice car. Yeah. Any nice car. I mean, hell, the car I drive. You know. Yeah, honestly. the car you drive, y'all. 
Coop, Coop, uh, Chris being modest about that. I'm about, about to call him Coop. Uh, Chris being modest, he got a whip, y'all. Yeah, he, he a slave master. He got a whip. <laughs> but uh, the mentality that comes with, like you saying, again, that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, black consumerism because, again, I, to me, it is an external way to seek validation, to seek approval to kind of make a statement that you matter now yes black people should be able to enjoy nice things just like everybody else we work just as hard if not harder which mm-hmm. nine times out of ten we work harder um mm-hmm. we, we ought to be able to appreciate and enjoy nice things but to your point it comes with all these extra bags mm. you know an extra tax the black tax the black tax yeah woke and asleep simultaneously <laughs> I've been seeing so many people on social media. I guess I go by that because all these people are woke, and then I see the same woke people falling right back into the the the, the, the plot and the trick and the plan. And I'm like, I thought you was woke. You thought <laughs> this was legit? <laughs> like, like for example, the Oscars. Mm, mm-hmm. The Oscars are pretty much, the judging of the Oscars are pretty much comprised of, let's say, white men. Um, I'd say white Jewish men. Mostly white Jewish men are the ones that are heading the committee, people that vote. And it's about maybe 5,000 people that do the voting. But most of them are white men. So they're trying to make it more diverse. But for the most part, it's still a white person saying thumbs up or thumbs down like Caesar in Rome. And I'm trying to understand, is it legit? Is it, are, are they really seeing the craft or is it just time for black folks to win? Like, I just always question the motive when something's been someone throughout the duration of our history. So if it was racist 100 years ago, what in my mind is to change if the same people that were racist look the same as people that do now? I mean, I try, so when it comes to the Oscars, I'm just trying to understand what is accomplished there are many black films that were great in my opinion that never won these kind of awards and they were better than probably black panther they were better than probably green book and they never won the awards denzel got an oscar for training them is that his best role no no not by a long shot but it's a great role oh he did an excellent job but ain't his best role so am I to judge? Am I to say that the people judging this film saw Denzel's best work, or they saw Denzel in a role that they found acceptable for him for him to win an award? So I see woke people talking all these things, but then I see, oh, this person is woke, and this is something good for black people. And I'm like, listen, the only thing good for black people is reparations. <laughs> <laughs> if it if it ain't money. It ain't gonna be good. Facts. Be- because if it's not money, it's gonna do appeal to our feelings and not actually what is a necessity. And we always talk about this, Chris. Mm-hmm. About not only facts or feelings, but what do black folks really need? We need that all- cash. We need that cash. Come on, man. I mean, because that's the only thing that's really gonna empower people to be able to to build a better life. You know, social acceptance has to come from within to begin with you know and I think it's high time black people start accepting themselves 
Hey, I'm black. It's, it is what it is. It, it is what it is. That's why I'll say stuff like, I won't say black podcaster. I'll say I'm a podcaster that happens to, happens be, to black. be black. That's why I say stuff like that because I don't have to prove my blackness to people, and I don't lead with my blackness because I don't live with. I don't live through my blackness. I know. If I, if I take away your skin right now, you still gonna be Chris. Facts. So clearly, it couldn't be resting in your skin. Bro, if I was a white man with this mentality, I'd probably be the Antichrist because I yeah. run everything. Yeah. <laughs> you take over everything. I really would. <laughs> are we just celebrating black history or are we making it? Now, even though black history is past at this point right now, I really, really like this question. I feel that what you and I are doing and what people who are around us are doing, are, we're making black history. What Facts. Rob is doing, he's making black history. You Facts. know, to me, what Melissa, Mika's, definitely what Melissa is doing, she's making black history. She is black history. Yeah. You know, and it's crazy because I sent you that little video that I made to your music because those were some words that came to me one morning when I woke up mm. about just starting your day with I am dot dot dot. Yeah. And you fill it in that blank with positive affirmations. And on that particular day, I woke up and my mind was on being black and not black history for historical sake, but knowing that in this moment in, in my being right now, I'm creating history. I yes. am black history. You so are. that way I put, you know, the appropriate amount of accountability on my actions when I go out in the day. You know what I mean? Because yes. I'm, I am an ancestor at this Fact. very moment. So when we say we praying to our ancestors, you know, a hundred years from now, somebody gonna be praying to you. Somebody gonna be praying to me because we are ancestors. Facts. And we want to leave a legacy. We gonna leave a legacy. So we gotta be comfortable with who we are. Facts. And we gotta we gotta start living for us. And and I say this: when people talk, the main thing that scares the world about black being concerned with black is the world feeling like once black is concerned with just black it's like the truth will be revealed then i think i think that's the biggest fear of black being black free? and free is like damn what if they're free they'll see everything for what it really is and they don't need us and they, and they don't, don't like us and they don't like us. And they don't love us. And they don't listen. So you, so now it, it, it's going to escalate to what? Mm. Not liking, not love. Pretty soon they go inside your head. Pretty soon they stress <laughs> you out. And that's the progression. So I think that's the biggest fear is when most black leaders have talked to, to us, it's been from a selfish standpoint from our people. Mm -hmm. Like forget everybody else. Let's focus on us. And to me, that even intimidates Mexicans mm. in this country. That even intimidates Asians in this country. That even intimidates Pacific Islanders in this country. That statement intimidates all of them because they feel like if these people realize who they really are to the point where they don't care about us, it's over. We're going to have to ask to come in now. I agree. Now, now you can come to the cookout. You do something stupid, you come to the cookout. So, but 
if we do that, everybody's uncomfortable. And I get it. Because now it's, it's no more trickery. It's no more. But I'm with everybody being uncomfortable because we've been made to feel uncomfortable since we've been here. You, talk, you talked earlier about being on the auction block. What other ethnicity ever had to deal with that? Think about that. The auction block. All these things about history of slavery. So they tell you everybody was involved in slavery. Everybody did it. All this stuff. You ain't heard of nobody else in the world with an auction block. I'm thinking about that. So that means whatever was going on, it wasn't this. And and, and not only not to being told about the auction block, but being told to get over it. Get over it. That was years ago. You wasn't on the auction block. But that PTSD, we are starting to understand that that's genetic because that's passed down from generation to generation to the generation. So we, you and I, and people in our generation, in our current life right now, we're dealing with and struggling with the trauma that our forebearers had to deal with. Yes. And it, and it affected the way we raised our children, the way we interacted, it just affected everything. And the funny thing is, somebody posted that very question this morning on Instagram, and it was like, should we get over slavery? Um, is it an excuse now? Is it? And it's basically asking a, a question for black folks to chime in. And I basically said, if a person was raped, how long would they have to get over the rape? said you would say there is no time limit i said i could understand a white person's argument on racism and slavery if racism was ended so if slavery is done and there's no more racism and no more oppression you have an argument it's, it ain't that valid but you got an argument but the fact that slavery's ended and it's still racism means that slavery is a direct link to racism mm -hmm. so that means that slavery mentality that slavery ideology that slavery thought that remnants of slavery is still there because racism is still there so we can't get over it because you keep reminding us of slavery which is through racism institutionalized mm -hmm. and oppression so no no we're not getting over it no I told somebody until if, if black people in this country make up 16% of the population, until we see cl as close to 16% in every aspect of American life, yes, I don't want to hear about it. <clears throat> so unless 16%, unless we get 16% black ownership in all major sports, facts, 16% in black leadership and nations, facts. 16% in black millionaires, black billionaires. Facts. Unless we see that, I don't want to hear nothing else about racism because it's still alive. And it's crazy. That 16%, think about this. That 16% would have majority white people saying, they taking over everything. They, they, say that, they say that now. Thank you. So imagine if it was 16%. It's not our country anymore. It's I dream about it every night. 
it's black America now. <laughs> like them Asians at Harvard. We being discriminated against. Man, shut up. Y'all make your 20-something percent of the student body and 5% of the population of the United States. That's representation. How many black students at Harvard? Zero point. Hmm. Speaking of the cookout, Mr. Robert Kraft. My boy, man. AKA Skeets, Sir Skeets a lot. <laughs> AKA Butterfingers. AKA Robert Kraft and Mac. A whole lot of cheese, but no Mac. <laughs> what do he say? It's, it's called Kraft cheese, but it's really parquet. It's really <laughs> You remember that? There's an old commercial. <laughs> parquet. <laughs> AKA butter. Butter. You won't believe it's not butter. The real Arkells. You <laughs> <laughs> can't spell R&B without the R. Without the R. <laughs> Mr. Robert Kraft got jammed up. And as Jesus used to say, if you get jammed up, don't mention my name. name. Don't mention my name. <laughs> he didn't snitch, though. He sure didn't. He didn't snitch. So Mr. Robert Kraft recently got jammed up uh, on sexual solicitation charges in Florida. As the location or the place of business is more aptly known as a rub and tug. <laughs> but the rabbit hole goes a little bit deeper because at this said rub and tug they were saying that they had women there you know held up against their will so this goes into sex, sex trafficking yeah. yes which is very very serious and very very pervasive like and it's got a lot of attention in this recent environment Talk to me about Robert Kraft and your feelings on this. Well, first, let me say this. A lot of these billionaires um, dibble and dabble and all kind of probably buying slaves and using them up. And so him being there and they say trafficking is pretty far the course with a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Um, Robert, Robert Kraft probably liked that place because they had girls there against their will i mean that think about it. If you if you got a fetish or you into something you want the extreme of it uh you see hellraiser they kept <laughs> messing with that box <laughs> they turn that box one hook come out they turn it again another hook come out you know this so i think robert Kraft just got caught up uh they ran a sting he was there uh he rich but i mean you still can get jammed up now, it, it, the charges won't stick. You can get off, but you're going to get jammed up because you're not immune to the police because probably most of us know who he even was when they arrested him. Um, but I just think that uh, he's got caught up and he does what rich men do. Um, they go out and they live life to the fullest, especially at his age. Hmm. He probably, he probably got to pop a few pills to get his, you know, to get his meat up. Um, so... He probably loaded up before he went over there. The Asian girl probably hate to see him coming. They were like, rubber, rubber, rap. Go, no. So, 
they probably they probably saw him. Oh boy, you they, a fool, man. And they was like, oh no. I know he popped him. He called him Pac-Man Pellets. I know he popped him. And yeah, I do call him Pac-Man Pellets. Yeah, he turned everybody into blue coats. Listen, I know he was there t- <laughs> and he was in there terrorizing them. That thing they have eight hours, he's about to kill himself. They said Thundercats. Oh, <laughs> 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 Yeah, no, my take on this is... Hold on, it, to, my, to my Asian community, I'm just joking. It's a joke. Go ahead. Um, my take on it is, I appreciated the work that he did around the Meek Mile, uh, Meek, Mile <laughs> Meek Mill trial, trying to get Meek Mill out, um, and, and, and the work that he, he has done and, and is doing around, you know, justice reform. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, to have an advocate of his stature is important. Yes, it is. Because, you know, without them, we ain't getting none of the things that we desire. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. And he probably sat down. And you know what's crazy? He probably sat down and actually talked to Meek Mill and was like. I'm sure he did. I saw the I saw the Van Jones interview on The Breakfast Club. And that's exactly. That's exactly what Van Jones said. When, when we took these white billionaires to the prisons and they actually saw what was happening in their own country, in their own backyards, he said, he said, I'm not going to drop no names, but there was a lot of slow singing and flower bringing. Yeah. And so I just think that we don't get humanized enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that when we do they fall in love with it. So it, it's like, but I think that's by design too, is that I don't want to humanize you because I'm going to feel conflicted and I'm going to, you know, have a war with my character on how to deal with you. So the best thing to do is just put the narrative out there and then don't interact with you so that I'm not convicted. But I think Robert Kraft said that when Mick Miller was like, there's probably this guy's probably a lot like me. Mm-hmm. You know, and he probably liked it. You know, I'm pretty sure he probably did. Like, yeah, this thing. And then he hung out with him. He was like, you got the chicks too? Oh, so Robert Crabb divorced. He, he living, he's single. Well, he got a girlfriend, my bad. But he's single, so he living life. Facts. Does he still get the invitation to the cookout? Now, you know, once he wore the meat meal, what would chain he have on? What did chain say? Champions? Yes. The chain alone, and black people, our standards are just so good. The chain alone and a, a, a picture with Meek Mill, he's at the cookout. Facts. I mean, but he's with Meek Mill, Jay-Z. Okay. And, yeah. Kanye said slavery was a choice and can't come back to the cookout. Matter of fact, everything that happens to him, people celebrate. It's tough. It's tough. That's tough. Yeah, and I think we definitely got to get away from the black people have to get out of the black monolithic, yes, you know, nature in which we see black people. Because if your blackness is that doesn't match my blackness, you're not black. Yeah, and I hate and I hate that. Like I said, if if everybody can't talk, nobody should be able to talk. Yes. If you can't lead by example, then shut your mouth. <laughs> All right, my man, well, we're wrapping up on time. You haven't heard a little bullet point about who got beef, the cattle industry versus the impossible alternative. Yeah, I was reading some articles on that, man. And basically, the beef industry is mad 
because they're claiming their sales are going down and they should and they're claiming that because they're you're calling it a burger is what's giving it's like you're making people choose the 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 good versus the evil it's kind of like you're calling it a burger and this is a burger well one is this and one is this you, people start comparing and contrasting and then they're going to come up with why would i eat this burger when this tastes the same and it's healthier for me so it's, it's just just the same like smoking weed versus smoking a cigarette one actually gives me cancer one actually makes me enjoy myself okay so so the beef industry is like they want to start off by saying you can't use the burger word and they basically want to categorize it as something different to where it's not being compared to meat because when it's compared to meat it's causing a problem because it's becoming very popular because it's that burger aspect of it um and i think that it goes along with but like you said beef first of all y'all are pumping the beef full of steroids and stuff anyway so it ain't meat so it ain't meat taco bell got in trouble for having grade z meat <laughs> they tested it they said it's not kangaroo it wasn't kangaroo meat it wasn't horse meat it wasn't nutrirat it wasn't nutrirat it wasn't dog they like what is it alien alien hey yo leon so the the cat the beef industry which links to not okay hold on. the ground beef industry which links to the beef industry which links to the cattle industry it's a it's all those entities having a problem with one impossible burger i'm pretty sure people make the impossible burger different companies i guess but no the company is named the impossible burger so it's just one company that makes the burger or i mean it... you got beyond me and then you got impossible burger okay so they don't have a problem with beyond me because it's literally beyond me but that burger name is making people because the the uh, impossible burger sales are skyrocketing and because it's good and the beef industry stuff is going down and so that even affects the milk and the dairy industry it should okay so we see this chain of events happening from a company introducing one vegan alternative i'm like damn it's just one thing like but that's all it needs to be one so so yeah they pissed so i foresee now i saw oprah go up against the cattle industry years ago and she lost so i don't know if the impossible burger is going to be forced to it, it's here to stay but you know how they do chris trust me it's here to stay they make them add something to the they make them add something to i know not, what you mean not not necessarily a meat product i'm saying they make them add some no something to the name no forget the name something to the product oh you think that's what they're gonna do because it's gonna be an issue because i went to slutty vegan man and we all gonna go one day but i went to slutty vegan man we'll go late at night when it's not a long line but and i'm eating the burger man and it's bacon like i'm eating it i got one burger and i felt like i was about to break out because it had shrimp on it so it was shrimp bacon cheese all this and i'm eating it looking at the mirror to my lip like is it 
you know what I'm saying? I'm just, so it's going to be a problem, Chris. It's going to be an issue. The impossible steak is going to be a problem. Impossible chicken is going to be a problem. It should be a problem. It because be. because cause life is about evolving. It's about growing. And we've been riding out on this farming problem issue for years. And yes. to your point, we ain't going to be able to last too much longer if we continue living life the way we're living right now. I mean, because the farming industry is such a pervasive and such a destructive force in this world with all the methane that the cows produce, mm -hmm. right? With all the clean water that these animals use up. Like people don't mm -hmm. understand, like to Thanos's point, th this world that we live in is finite. These resources are finite. And if you look at the amount of water that farming uses versus the water that humans use, yeah, it's not, even, it's not even a comparison. It's not. It's not even a comparison. So why wouldn't we start looking at better, different alternatives to to live? Because we ain't to your point. We ain't gonna be able to live no more. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? Like it, it's gonna be a wrap. And I don't want to be taken out by a hamburger. That's why I gave up meat. Yeah, and I feel you. And I, I applaud anybody that's given up um, meat. I'm slowly, you know get my diet to where it's all gone. I mean, I eat turkey burger every now and then and salmon, but at the end of the day, yeah, I just had that burger and it made me think about where the food's gonna go. And pretty soon you're gonna be able to have two dishes and the vegan version of the dish tastes better. And I just, it's going to be a problem for those industries because it's a trickle. Like it's a, it's connected to so many different things. Like it's dairy. But, but that's how life is. Look at look at what happened to Blockbuster, right? Let's use that for an example. <sighs> look at what's happening with Walmart and Target when Amazon came into the industry. <sighs> so when these companies literally get so big and too big to fail, they have blinders on. So the mm -hmm. beef and the cattle and the dairy and the farming industries are all major industries that have been able right and, and they get no government sub subsidies we and can't get can we can't get reparations but they can get subsidies you see you see what i'm saying it's crazy so when a market disruptor comes into play because remember we live in a capitalistic society so we should be good with all this right ain't that crazy hmm. they always preach about capitalism and then soon i come up with a great idea that's in that's getting to the money. Now y'all got a problem with it. Now Everybody gotta, got a problem. Like, yep. Now we got to change the name. Now you got to classify it and say it ain't like don't say. It. And it clearly says impossible burger. That means even if I think on a deeper level, that means it's impossible for a burger to be like this. So that means if they want to buck about that, then that means they got to take. You can't believe it's not butter off the shelf. Yeah. You got to take froyo off the shelf. Yeah. You know, because they got uh, coconut milk ice cream nowadays. Cashew milk. All Cashew, they got to go. Yeah. Everything got milk, to go. Everything got to go. Because technically it's not milk. Facts. All right, man. Well, let's take a quick break and come right back. We got a couple bullet points left. Okay. You could have done all that during your break, man. I was trying. <laughs>
Excuse me, y'all. Nah, you good. It's your boy, C. Will Holler, a.k.a. The Pop Father. And that, that, that sounded so tired. Um, <laughs> it's your boy, C. Will Holler, a.k.a. The Pop Father, a.k.a. The Professional Conversations. And we're back with Two Kings in the Pod and my co-host, Mr. He Is Blanchard. Why do we need white people on the show versus just having quality guests? Why do we need gimmicks, smoke and mirrors? So what's crazy is we were both told by two separate people about adding white guests to our show. And I'll tell you what my person said. My person said, basically get somebody white on the show so that the people can get a white perspective. And I told him, I'm welcome anybody come on the show if they have something to add to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when he was saying it, he was trying to make it have more commercial appeal. But honestly, Chris, we don't need a white perspective on the show because we get a white perspective 24 seven. Like we are bombarded <laughs> about a white perspective. That's the whole point of two kings in a pod. We in a pod. They clearly, <laughs> the white perspective is pervasive in our society. Very. Turn radio, we turn on the TV, we go outside, we go on the job. So, I think we can we can reserve some space for us. Um, so I'm not against anybody white coming on our show. Um, I would just say that they're not coming on our show because they're white. Facts. And I think the large part of the conversations that you and I both talk about is always based on character. So, you know, I was I was kind of taken aback when someone said um, have someone white on the show, not offended, but I wanted to understand what the thought process was. Because at some point we do need to have guests on the show. Yes. I, I wouldn't necessarily to you to your to your point though. I wouldn't say that we need white guests on the show. I wouldn't say that we need black guests on the show. I wouldn't say that we need men on the show. I wouldn't say we need women yeah. on the show. I know we need guests on the show. Um, as you and I continue to build and develop this platform, this product, and this podcast, we will we already create an environment of in, of inclusion. What I think people get taken aback by is again how what we're saying makes them feel yes not about what we're saying but how what we're saying makes them feel and i know some of the subject matter and some of the topics that we talk about will make white people feel uncomfortable i know that absolutely yeah because what we're saying will hold them accountable for being white just like we're held accountable for being black every single day Every single day. Nobody comes in and says, hey, that's Chris. Leave him alone. I don't get that. Now, people like me. Yeah. I would hope that they don't like me just because I'm black. I hope that they like me. Yeah. You know, but like I said, I kind of got the under. I I understood where they were coming from, because I think in, in the grand scheme of things, people want to see. They want to see your stuff hold up. Yeah. They want to see it hold up. Um, but to your point about 
us being inclusive. Like, it's an open door policy here. It is. <clears throat> so I'm from any. I'm for anybody that has something of quality to offer to come on the show. I agree. I mean, I'm I'm just like, but you're not coming on the show because you're white, and you're not coming on the show because. I need an antagonist on the show. You're not coming on the show because you want to see a black person arguing with white with a white person. Uh, at the end of the day, if a white person came on the show for the reasons they named, it would be with something racial. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I'm not going to have a white person come on my show and have any kind of argument or even dialogue. I'm going to tell you what y'all do. Because to me... <laughs> I'm just saying at this point, we, we, we done with the, we, we did that. We tried to sing, we used to sing and march and then y'all ended up poisoning the water. So clearly y'all don't care about none of that stuff. We, we, Martin Luther King said, we should overcome. I see the mountaintop. We love the white kids, white boys. You killed them. So we we tried the other methods. We pleaded, we went to the Senate, we then went to the, we we, pro, we did everything necessary. Say so we stood we did, up, we marched. We stood up, we stood up, we, we sat down. We kneeled. We, we kneeled, we fried our hair, we bleached up. We did everything, and y'all still are arguing about racism. So that lets me know that that's not my battle. My battle is I'm going to say what it is and keep it moving. And if you want to argue, you'll be arguing with the, the dust of my shoes. My shadow, you not me. To be arguing, arguing with your signs up there, for real. But you not, yeah. Y'all see him. Ain't for a free blast, get money. Oh, you see <laughs> Had an old white guy say, "Man, we had it tough, man. I, I was, I grew in the air, man. I had long hair, rebel. You know, we had it, we had it tougher than y'all." Listen, that. <laughs> listen, I gave. I was like. And he was like, he just, <laughs> he just exited stage left. <laughs> yeah, don't make, don't don't make no more comments. Go on, go on about your business. We had it tougher than y'all. Wow. And I, and I walked away, and I was like, he honestly think that he done been through something because he chose to be a rebel. What has he been through? nothing just uh typical typical white um plight uh carefree in the world living doing your passion your dreams how old is this old white man oh he's 60 something he about 60 okay the fact five. that he's made it to his 60s he won yeah because i can give him a laundry list of names of black faces that didn't make it Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Facts. Medgar Evers, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I don't think that he had it tougher than us. Not even close. You chose that life. You chose the long hair. We didn't choose to be black. You chose them tattoos. I didn't choose them. Not at all. But anyway, man, we want to leave the listeners on a high note. What's next? 
you know what? I guess we did cover it, huh? Did we didn't get on Jesse Smollett though. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember you saying anything. But are oh, you said about the interview? Yeah. I mean. Oh, well, here's my question though. Do you think that his career is over? No. Okay. I don't either. Absolutely not. I mean, we talked about that on the last one that he's we're forgiven. Now he may not get big roles. He may not get big parts. Um, he's going to have to go away for a little while. But look at OJ. Look at you know R. Kelly. Clearly, his career can su- sustain. They got a talent though. Oof. I mean. Have you seen him on The Breakfast Club? Who? Justice Smollett. I didn't know he had one. No. He, yeah, he has the interview that I watched. And I was like, he has to be the corniest gay dude I've ever seen in my life. Why? Because he... He just ain't got no sauce. He ain't got no sauce. I mean, I don't want to trivialize being gay, but usually they got... Usually they funny. Something. Something, huh? Something. I mean, dealing with the lifestyle that they have to deal with or that they deal with, it builds their character. Yeah. And this is how a comedian responds, right? Because they're funny because they usually comedians are people who have dealt with a lot of things. Yes. Right? So it forces them. To, I think this is why you're funny. I think this is why I'm funny. Because it forced this life forced us to see life in a different lens. Yeah. And I'm listening to this dude talk on that show, and I'm like, he's not funny. He's not real. Like there, there's no authenticity to. And that was before the whole, you know, fake choke out, whatever. Yeah. Like, I just didn't get any authentic vibes from him at all. And <clears throat> which, which seems like it make him a good actor because he be something, an empty vessel to be poured into because he lacks any depth, but clearly he lacks talent, depth, and all that. Um, well, they said he can sing. I never heard anything from him, so I don't know. Yeah, he, he can. Sing. Yeah, he can. He's a, I, I honestly, I think he's his, his passion to me probably lies in his artistry mm-hmm. but he can act in the sense that I guess he has the look um, and he's gay on TV so he has things working for him as far as him getting roles but that Robin Robin Roberts interview I just you know, I said it was just bad and I just felt like it was just bad acting and I felt even even when he was like, he hit me, so I hit him back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that stuck with me, man. It's it just like I'm just like nobody talk, nobody talks like this, like no. Yeah, nobody talks like that. Nobody, I, and I just said it's so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. He's just, you know, he's he's pro black now. I'm pretty sure. 
if I look through his high school, if I look through his pictures growing up, he's all white friends. Like, I just know the type, man. I just know the people that, you know, got got their blackness late because they make yeah. because they make very bad decisions in the black community. Here's a guy I work with, and he, you know, he jumped out there. Ever since Trump got in office, he want to be black now, and but he don't know how to date black girls though. So the girls that he goes after are the stereotypical black girls that he, you know what I mean, like the the ratchets. And keep in mind, ratchets are a small percentage of black women. Very small. Most black women are not ratchet. So, but he thinks that's black women. And this is a black man? Yeah, but he grew up white. He grew up white girls. He grew up white friends. He grew up white. So he didn't... Yeah, he didn't... He didn't grow up with the black experience. He had, he had a delayed black tax. Yes. But when it... Boy, but listen, but when it came, though, they, they wanted... It, <laughs> it was, now, they had interest. I told him now, listen. It was interest. Anyway, but he... uh. Yeah, but I can just tell by the girls he likes. I'm like, yeah, you, you green, because there's no way you would date a white girl that acted like or did this. So, is it that he likes them, or that's who he thinks he's supposed to have? The second part, and uh, yeah, and I think he's, you know, he's holding on to that's that's his blackness. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it says that's his blackness. So. But I always caution people that deal with people that grew up. If you were a black person that grew up white, I can only take you so far because I just know it's the psychology that comes behind that, man. And it's, oh, yeah. and it's a lot of torture, a lot, a lot of soul uh, selling, a lot of compromising, a lot of uh, crying nights, a lot of esteem shattered. A lot of stuff goes into somebody growing up white man and I it's tough so and then when they try to come to this side to your point about earlier that you made the point about being sensitive I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about the black experience being black makes you be very sensitive to a lot of things because you're under constant duress and constant attack through the media through society through culture in your own neighborhoods, in your own homes even. And then you go to work and you're attacked. And people don't understand these things called microaggressions. Yeah. And I, and I understand that they don't understand it until you do it to them. Yeah. And I, I do it all the, all the time. People throw shade, I throw shade right back. And when I throw the shade, it's like, I can't believe you. I said, no, listen, 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 listen. listen. We're not going to play that game. I'm not gonna play that game. We're not gonna play that game. Like you said the last time, you said something, I said something back. We even. We even. He still, but he's still salty about it though. He don't want no smoke. He don't want no smoke. But take that energy that you got towards me and put it towards them. What did Nikki Giovanni say? You go to you go to your job and smile all day. Cracker. And smile that cracker all day. Why don't you come lie to me? Don't smile at me. 
She sold him out, this. She sold him out. He was like, why? I ain't gonna lie to you. I can't lie to you. Because I can't. Don't you lie to yes, that crap? Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> you lie. Listen, you wanna bust his head? Listen, she yes. was spitting. She was spitting, was spitting. on that. You want to bust his head, but you smile in his face. You grinning. And then come. come on, and terrorize me. And terrorize me. No. <laughs> Lie to me. I like that. I loved it, man, because she pulled the cover away. Mm-hmm. Only problem is now it's reversed. Now you see black women doing that. Yeah. The same thing she's talking about. Now black women are ones emasculating black men because they may have a better job or a better career. And I'll be the first to tell anybody, you want the real black experience? I mean, you I mean, you really want it? Like you, you, you want it unfiltered, uncut, that pure, you know, that pure that Tony went over there with Soul Side cooked up, <laughs> that, that, that 100 ain't never been stepped on, take one buck and you pass out, that? <laughs> You want that? Live your life as a straight black man with character. And I guarantee you will last not even a day. Because by the time you gotta go to work, you you you'll tap out. <laughs> you'll tap out when you put that key card up. Said so it be stressed out like my man on my poster we got from New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it 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 was beautiful. It was poignant. It was the truth. It was the truth. We we at that hour, man. So, uh, what do you want to talk about? Oh, one more thing, though. No, you can talk about the, it. This, the, this is open platform. The owner of Slutty Vegan is Pinky Cole. I'm sorry, I didn't know her name earlier, but it's, it's Pinky Coat. And y'all check out the Slutty Vegan. It's excellent. Um, it's a long wait. It's worth it. But if I was you, I'd wait later in the day, in the evening, because this line got a lot, a lot shorter. And there's another black restaurant that was there. Chris, it was called Something and Gravy. People was going in there, got tired of waiting, went to that restaurant. Everybody was eating off of the study vegan. I know what I want to ask you about Justice Smollett. Yeah. So we got one side, Justice Smollett, and then you got the other side, Ryan Lochte, the Olympic swimmer. Yeah. Who lied about being held up at gunpoint. He lied. And then and, what he... And what was it, 2016? Yeah. Olympics, or was yeah. it 2018? 2016 Brazil. 2016 Brazilian Olympics. Mm. And then they would just say, oh, we just chalk it up as boys being boys, you know, telling li- telling little white lies. Mm-hmm. And Justice Smollett got jammed up. Okay, so I got two things about that. The first one is what we got to realize is that we can't do what white people can do. Facts. So we have to just get that drilled in our head. You can't do what they can do. So just get it in your head. You can say it's inferiority complex. You can't do what they can do. Period. So Robert Kraft about to get off. You try it. 
they're going to link every sex trafficking case out of there on you. So I'm just letting you know what's going to happen. So if you black, the, the, the best thing you can do is live by character, be who God wants you to be, and that's great. When you, you rose above all this stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. That's my advice. But trying to say what's name got away with it, and you listen, you already know they're the masters of getting away with it, doing it, perpetuating it, and then blaming you for it. Facts. So the difference I see in the case is, what's the guy's name again? Ryan, Ryan, Lo- Ryan Lochte. Ryan Lochte. He came out and apologized. He admitted he was lying. And it didn't go this far. Yeah. I think Jesse could have got the same thing, especially with him being gay. Could have got the same thing because he could have easily said the pressures of being straight, uh, being homosexual may be... Like, it's an easy spin for him. He's black and he's gay. So he got an easy spin on anything talking about something that's affecting his brain or his spirit, being whatever. He got any kind of excuse. (laughs) But that interview... It sealed the deal. Because it made everybody pay attention that wasn't. Facts. Now you have the people that are going to be unbiased. They're going to they're going to look at it from an unbiased eye. They're going to be like, "This don't make sense." This don't. There's one part on the on the interview, Chris. This dude actually said, "I told them to cut their body cams off because this was the second set of cops." So that means you called up two sets of police officers. That ain't the cold part. And you left the rope on for both of them. That's not his own mouth. It's just tough. So Ryan Lochte didn't do what he did. He didn't he didn't call no special. He didn't get up there and stand. This is what I understand about black people is when we do something, we always do it like just like veneers. A white, a, a white person, a white person get veneers, and their teeth look normal. We know they're fake, but they look normal. A black person get veneers. I'm like, why? Smiling like the mask. Like, like <laughs> you look, look crazy. I'm like, black folks veneers look crazy. I've never seen them look good. <laughs> And I keep saying, are they just giving black people to eat the meal? <laughs> are we back to racism again? <sighs> oh, man. I just, I, I don't know, man. So it just seems like when we do stuff, jugging-wise, so mm-hmm. not keeping get good dental hygiene, not flossing, not brushing, mm-hmm. trying to just slap some fake teeth on top of my, my messed up teeth. Anytime we jug, Chris, it goes to the next level. Because it's an abomination because we weren't meant to do it. Yeah, well, there's an old saying that goes, the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes. So what we try to do, society at large, but in this particular conversation, black people specifically, we try to do and then take care of the cure on the back end. Yeah. It's just like, don't do Don't do Don't do and don't get you. Cause it, well, I don't get you. 
Oh, that rapper. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of not getting good, there's a rapper, Chris. His name is <laughs> Cash Money. And I guess his real name is Cavius McNeil, but his name is Cash Money, spelled with a K. Cash spelled with a K. Mm-hmm. So Cash Money, Cavius McNeil, somebody filmed him getting head from a man. Mm-hmm. So people started releasing the video and he goes live and responds to the video. Mm-hmm. Now he's, he's in the he's in his house with his baby mamas and his kids. So he tells them to get out and the baby mama stays in. And he's basically going on a rant about he going to do him, he going to get money. Then he gets really turned up. And this is how you know when they touch you, it's like hitting a switch. And, <laughs> and this is just for... In, the, in this community, he the guy saying he's not gay, mm-hmm. but he likes getting oral sex from men. Now, people are chiming into his live, and they going off, and he going off, and then he then he get mad at one point. And he say, "Y'all talking? I might have your dude on, on his knees for me." And then, so you know, his comments erupted. They showed his comments. Then he was like. I just want to try it. it is what it is. All my baby mamas know I'm going to keep doing me. And he just very brazen and, and, and boastful about him, you know, sexual things with men. Now, what I applaud about this man is he's unapologetically him. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying, I'm not going to change because y'all want me to change. I'm going to do me. <clears throat> I respect it. I don't know how it's going to fare for his career, but I respect it because he's saying I'm not going to break for y'all. And he said, and all y'all to release my video, I'm going to sue y'all because it was done without my um, permission. And it's a hate. He, he said it was a hate crime. He called it a hate crime and he called it something else. Oh, yeah. They have rev- the revenge porn. Uh, they have laws around that stuff, man. So, so he said he going to sue people and but you brought up a good point earlier and you said, is there a difference between a person being gay and being homosexual? I think there's a difference. Cause, I, cause, cause think about it this way. You have different, very, so what, and I get the, the difference is this. When people, when you're talking about sexuality and Talking about sexuality is different than talking about sex. So, to me, sexuality is a spectrum. Yeah. Right? Because you, and if, if because of their two genders, you have feminine and then you have masculine. Mm-hmm. And along that spectrum, there's this litany of different points. Right? So, you can have effeminate men who are straight. Yes. You, you can have a masculine women who are straight. Right? Yes. You can have gay men who are masculine. Yes. You can have gay women 
who are feminine. Yes. The reason why I said I think that there's a difference is because, to me, when you're talking about homosexual and heterosexual, that is who you're sleeping with. But if someone, and I know people don't like the term gay and stuff or whatever, but to me, if someone like that says, he would say to me, hey, I'm not gay, I would say, okay, I could accept that because he may not be gay in the sense of the lifestyle of being gay, but he's definitely homosexual yes and and i think a lot of these guys a lot of these artists you know i guess quote unquote download a lot of these rappers i think is is something that we probably didn't really know about growing up of how this it was a gay under i guess a gay society that was that we didn't know about like i hear stories of what guys were doing in high school and and you know I just am like damn where was I because I didn't know y'all none of this was going on like I know I know one guy that I went to high school with he's he's deceased he passed away from AIDS but I remember him saying that he would meet guys on the internet in high school I'm like what like sleeping with grown men I'm like just this is when we're in high school mm-hmm. and so he was gay in high school, but he lived a, well, how can I say this? On on outside, he was heterosexual. He lived a down-low lifestyle. Down-low. But people thought he was gay, but he, ne- but he never so- like socially indulged in being gay at all. Like mm-hmm. he would, he always had girlfriends. He, but behind closed doors, he was very much homosexual and gay. Mm-hmm. And I do agree with you. To me, feminine and masculine are, to me, social constructs. Because what's feminine mm-hmm. and what's masculine? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we can't, you know, and... But, so a person that, like this guy, uh, cash, cash Money, he doesn't feel like he's gay. He probably is not, when I say intimate, he's probably not, like, sharing deep feelings with gay men. He's probably not... His lifestyle is probably pretty much heterosexual mm-hmm. but when it but when it comes to what he like on his plate he, he, he want a bratwurst and he want that polish sausage he said he don't want them viennas he said no i want them links you definitely don't want them tacos <laughs> yeah no i mean i think that again that that thing kind of per it, it is um pernicious in the sense that I really don't have a dog in the fight when it comes to how someone else wants to live their life. I mean, to your point, I think on one of the previous podcasts you made about we grew up with and around homosexuals. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I, people are like, Oh, well people, they made fun. I'm like, people made fun of everybody. Everybody. I got picked on. You got picked on. You told the yeah. story about you being picked on a bullied or whatever. You know, um, I I want everybody to be able to feel and live as free as they need to be to be themselves. Yes. Um, Technically, the brother is right about going after the people legally for producing, you know, and and publishing this without his consent. Yes. But also, man, just and I, I know you champion him for being himself. But um, 
he could he he didn't have to go in there and say if if he felt that way, right? Like if he yeah. feels the way that he feels, you do, you shouldn't have to go on a podium and say, "Hey, I'm not gay. I'm doing me." Yeah. He could he could have just said, "I'm doing me." I'm doing me. You Cause, know, because apparently that's how they're doing it these days. And, and listen, and like you said, and I tell people all the time, we grew up around homosexuals. Mm-hmm. So I never saw a homosexual being denied human rights because they were gay. I've never seen that. Gay people was in the church, in the school, everywhere. Gay people was around our neighborhoods. And I've never seen them discriminated against. I've never seen a black gay person, somebody say, you can't come in this store. You can't do this. You can't do that. So I know they, there's an LGBTQ, LGBTQ, QRSTUV. There's an LGBTQ <laughs> movement. But I have to also say that there are a lot of benefits that come with being gay now. And people can say it's not, but it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's a benefit. And, and even back then, as I'm thinking now, I'm like, who was even persecuted? Who was even persecuted that was gay? Yeah, they say, oh, so and so gay, he a punk, he this, that, and the third, but wasn't nobody stealing from him, wasn't nobody robbing him, wasn't nobody torturing him. Like, none of that stuff was happening. So the horror stories the gay folks that they experienced, I didn't see it in the black community. Mm-hmm. I saw the choir director usually was gay, the mm-hmm. organ player was gay, like some of the ushers was gay. Some of the, like it was gay people in the church, gay people in the school. So I'm like, people are used to gay people. I think what people aren't used to is people making their sexual preference or lifestyle something above everybody else's. Yeah. And I'm I'm all for Chris. Everybody treated the same way. Facts. You know. Me being black don't give me a, a, a leg up. You being white don't give you a leg up. You being gay don't give you a leg up. None of that matters. It's all based on character. Now let me see if you really want to be gay. If it's all about your character, not your orientation, sexual orientation, let me see if you want to be gay. If it's about your character, let me see if you want to be black. I'm surprised, be I'm surprised in society we don't have more people truly fighting for real character assessment. To, to, to make this really to make this world a true meritocracy yeah why don't you think we, we have more of that I think that most people want to be comfortable I just think the more comfortable society got the more comfortable we got I just think that think about it think about how people spoke out back in the day mm-hmm. like think about how much stuff was challenged back in the day like let's say prayer out of school oh no all the parents will go to the school and get upset and want to see the superintendent and threaten this threaten that threaten this now eh. I just think that nobody really wants to smoke so you so to character assess it's going to be very uncomfortable that is a uncomfortable unwelcoming challenging uh life-threatening job like you really calling people out on something on, on their character the thing that convicts us the most mm-hmm. yeah i think it's uh no nah, people don't want that smoke you see the hell i get on instagram and i don't even <laughs> and i don't even have that many followers 
on on Facebook. I couldn't imagine having a million followers, two million followers, three million followers, and people chiming in like you this, I can't just all this negative stuff about me. I wouldn't listen to them, but I'm human, you know. But but great point because why do you feel they give you the smoke and won't give someone like the Charlemagne the God who's definitely outspoken the smoke. Again, it's always about can we buy the story? Mm. You know, can we can we sell can we sell this? Can we buy this story? Like can we buy what you sell it? At the end of the day, Charlemagne is not taken seriously. Mm. Okay. He's a he's a court gesture. It, it, it's like it's like for example, remember he was in the room and it was a uh, who was with it was a Benny Siegel, and it was arguing. He was clapping in Benny Siegel's face. I don't remember if I saw that. one. Okay, there, there was an interview with Benny Siegel and he was saying, you know, it seemed like you cloud chasing, and he basically was getting on Benny Siegel. I, I do respect the fact that Charlemagne does not change the script up normally no, he doesn't he he if he got a question to ask he gonna ask it. that's what i see so but he, he's tolerated because he's not threatening so it's kind of like Birdman and and um master p checked him one time but Birdman and uh benny siegel and people like p that. checked him oh yeah he had to check him what 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 did Pete check him about? He checked him about Mercedes. Remember the girl Mercedes never had an album come out. Yeah, she was like facing her butt was facing this way. Yeah, I, I, rem- I, I remember the album. That that was the album, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I never heard anybody bump the album. Though. I don't think it came out. I don't think it did either. I remember the cover, but because it was always in that lower lower right hand corner. Yeah. Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> so, Charlamagne makes some comments about her that was kind of you know sexual and p was like hold on you know that she got she got a family she got see he know them so he's like you gotta hold on you doing too much so he basically don't disrespect her like that so he checked him for real like it was very (laughs) matter matter of factly (laughs) wasn't no extra rah-rah wasn't it was just say wasn't no hyperbole nope just (laughs) don't do that again all cap you wrong. She got a family. These are people I know and love. Don't do it. And he said, and the way he said it, everybody in the room knew what he was talking about. <laughs> what was Charlamagne's reaction? Yeah, my bad. You know, I, I didn't. You know, my bad. Uh, you know, he started. You know, backpedaling. Yeah, but I don't blame him though, because you you got to know when you pedal by the ring off a cliff on that bike. <laughs> <laughs> You, you ain't got ET in the basket. You about to drop shit out there. <laughs> she so actually yes. did sing a hook on, um, I don't know if you remember this. What, to me personally, one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest um, soundtrack albums. The Nothing to Lose soundtrack. Yeah, that's a great one. That's you remember uh, Master P had a song on there called Nothing to Lose. Damn. She she that. sing she sings on the hook of that. Mercedes does. Mm-hmm. I thought she was a rapper. I didn't know she was a singer. She's singing on the hook of that. And you know, here's a funny story. Uh so Master P's cousin 
was married to is married to Mia X or was married to Mia X. And you know, Pimp C was running his mouth talking about Master P. So Master P cousin got on a plane, went to Houston, went to the hotel Pimp C was at, knocked on the door, beat the brakes off of it. <laughs> True story. Left, got back on a plane, and we're about to do all this. And Mia X was just telling the story how after that, uh, Pimp C called Master P up and apologized to him. You know, he's out of line, he's out of pocket. Now, we think Pimp C is tough, right? Mm-hmm. We never seen him fold. We never saw Pimp C sweat. He kept it real, he was a G. But that's the rapper. <laughs> Reality, he ran his mouth as a rapper and got dealt a real life consequence. <laughs> he so got much, dealt with in person. So much to the point where he made a pick up the phone and he called back. He, my bad, man. He, he had the phone talking about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hello? <laughs> Nah, but uh, yeah. So yeah, but back back to what you were saying about Charlemagne. I interrupted you because P was. I had to hear what P checked him on. Nah, P checked him on that, but Charlemagne's not taken seriously, Mm -hmm. and so he's tolerated by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. If if I said what Charlemagne said on the show, I'd be fighting every day because people would hear me say it and felt like and they knew I was meaning. And no, I wasn't trolling. This is how I really felt. And I might say it in a way that make them feel like what he's saying is true. Mm-hmm. So they want to fight me. I know that. So they don't take, yeah, Charlemagne. But on Instagram, they just, you know, they just send little shots. You know, they, little, I got my vest on. Just. How is any of that stuff taken seriously? I don't. It's, I mean, it's, it's Instagram. I, I saw a, a post today or the other day I did a video about it about the lady that um, her and her friends hemmed the guy up because he hadn't married she was 40 oh yeah I saw that she was 40 and he hadn't married her or given her kids and now everybody's upset so I'm sitting there listening to him I'm thinking to myself like okay so what's the alternative he gotta get her pregnant like, I'll be like what's the alternative marry her and get her pregnant clearly he don't want to Clearly he doesn't want to do it, but y'all would take him doing it to suffice what? You, you know what? That ego. You knew this, she was like, you knew this day was coming. You knew this day was coming. You've been 40 your whole life. You knew this day was coming. <laughs> and then, and his answer was so cavalier. He was like, so cavalier. He was just like, you wasn't going to marry and get my baby? He was like, no. He was just so, no, I never planned on, we just, I can't go to her and say, it's time to have a kid or we shouldn't have, no, it's not my place. What are you erupting? Let's get out of here. Let's leave. But. But that one lady didn't leave. Somebody stayed? Yeah. The, the, the lady who was sitting next to him. Oh, yeah, that's his girl. So that's who the ladies were saying, let's leave. Yeah, they said let's leave, but she the one dating him was the one next to him. 
Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. wasn't going nowhere. Of course, where's she gonna go? But but listen, by their own admission, she's devalued. And I say this from their own admission, not in mine, not in yours, not by anything that's godly or anything religious. By their definition, they're saying she's 40 with no children and she's not married. That has moved them enough to try to pressure this man into doing it, which means the state she's in right now is not a good state. It's not good to be 40, single, and no kids. Especially when you got a guy right here, you got some mixed babies with him. Mm. I peeped that too. Cause I'm I'm listening to him talking. I'm like, how are y'all even together? Yeah, he ain't had no swag. Nothing. Nothing. He just wasn't black. So you get what you paid for. You get what you asked for. So a lot of women do that. So a lot of women think that if they don't have this certain thing in life that they're not valuable and they produce the rhetoric though they spew it out they telling this man you're you're potentially ruining her life because she's not married and doesn't have children at 40. that's basically what they're saying they're saying she's not gonna be if she left him what was she gonna do if she leaves him right now at 40 with those kind of friends and that mentality, what is she going to do? What I always ask the question about, my question is always this. Has the relationship from her standpoint ever been about him? Because if you ever made the relationship about the other person that you're in the relationship with, you're going to have to face the truth of who they are. Yes. Like not not about getting married, not about having babies or mixed babies in this particular case, but if I make the relationship about this person, just like with friendship, right? Most people are friends with other people because of convenience. And that's why their friendships don't last. Yes. But when you make the friendship about the other person, your friendship spans decades. I'm living proof of that because the people that I'm tied to have been my friends for over decades. You have been my friend for over a decade now. Yes. Because I made the relationship, I made the friendship about the other person, not about the conditions in which come with the friendship. You know, Chris Rock said it best. Babies, women, and dogs loved unconditionally. Facts. Men, not so much. Not so much. So I'm thinking, did she ever make the relationship about him? Like, was she in the relationship for him? I'm going to say no. And judging by her friends and the way she talks. I judged I, by his reaction that it wasn't about him. Yeah, he wasn't. No, he, he wasn't thinking he wasn't even thinking about marrying her or giving her children. Like it, 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 like it wasn't even a thought in his mind. He was like, why would I even do that? And and guess what? You are 100% correct. A lot of times, and I'm going to say this, black women have been conditioned. And it's a conditioning that comes with 
getting 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 what you can get from a man. And I'm not saying always in a bad sense. I'm just saying that it's, it's it just seems like there's always something attached to something they're doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of just doing it. And if you love the man, just love the man. And, and if you really love the man, you will take your agenda and throw it away. Facts. If you really love the man, you will take your list away. You take your list, throw it away. You have your clock, you'll break it. If it's about that man, you will get rid of all the stuff that makes you put pressure on a man. If you live to be, if you could have children till you're 80 years old, y'all wouldn't be pressuring men now. So guess what? It ain't about the children. Y'all wouldn't think about having kids probably till y'all was in y'all 60s. Facts. Um, but my, and, and my point is- In their 40s. In their 40s. But my point is to say that Chris is, they don't make it about the man. They don't make, and I know that in that conversation that she was having, all her friends were concerned about was not even her, just her being married and having a kid. So they not were concerned even, about what it looked like. What it looked like, not even him. Just cause my girl is 40 and she can't be out here at 40 with no kids and not married. And I would ask the question, why not? Yeah. Why not? A lot of folks is happy and single at 40. I was, folks, about, I was about to say that. I know a folks, lot of people who are single and don't have kids who are extremely happy. Because I so, know a lot of people who are married with kids who are not happy. Yeah. So, anyway, but back to your point. I don't want to make it about uh, a race thing with just dating, but I think that black women could learn from other cultures when it comes to dating. Um, I do. I, I think that just the way you look at a relationship, and it's not always just about what a man can give you, but sometimes it might just be companionship. Well, I like what one of the people said, and I think this was from the original post of that clip. It was like... <clears throat> Unfortunately, black women have gotten away, gotten away from what dating is supposed to be. It is the trial period. Yeah, it's, it's not the yeah, it's the trial period. Yeah, it's to find out if you are compatible. Yeah, not so it's not, it, it's not about he wasted your time. <clears throat> like he may not have himself together. He he has to see what you're about, and you have to see what he's about, and then y'all have to figure out where y'all going from there. Even if he got himself all together, even if he got all the ducks in a row, he still ain't got to marry you. Facts. So I just think that there's a misconception, and I'm speaking for our women because we deal with our women. Uh-huh. There's a misconception to think that a man got to do something at some particular junction. When you got with that man, he was where he was. Uh-huh. So what you can expect from that man you got with is what he is right then and there. Now, if he becomes a better person, that's icing on the cake. Now, if he becomes worse than that, you have a gripe. But when you get with him, you run the risk of that being the person that you are with forever. Well, at at that point, if he hadn't changed who he was, then that's who he is. So... This whole thing that a man needs to know, 
you meeting that man as he is. How many guys actually, how many guys actually meet women and try to change them? Not not say don't go out till three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should wear that outfit. They that's not changing. How many men actually try to get the woman to be another person? I never seen it. You've never seen it. A dude is only gonna give women like parameters, like you shouldn't go hang with her, she's not a mm-hmm. good friend. Or, but a man they're trying to make a woman not be a woman because when he got with her, he got with her. So he's already he already knows what he has. He ain't a man is not getting with a woman thinking in 10 years she'll be Michelle Obama. He ain't thinking that. He's saying, I got a good woman that I can build with. They get with a dude talking about, girl, if he do, if he stay at this job, Tim, he go, no, no, no. You got what you got. And if he becomes a better person, you become a better person and the guy be all the glory. But this, <laughs> but this notion that when you get with somebody, they're automatically supposed to grow and be this great person. No, if he wasn't great when you met him, chances are he ain't going to be great when you leave him. or Chances are you wasn't great either. Facts. You'll never look in the mirror. Good old Mike Jackson said it best. <laughs> Stop with that man in the mirror. Oh, Mike. Asked me to change ways. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better, a better place, place, take a look at yourself. yourself. And, and make, make that, that change. change. <laughs> that was a cold video for that song too it really was that was a great video man ahead of its time ahead of its time and that video touched home so much that video was hit everybody in the world put, the, put it on everybody way ahead of its time alright my man well we running out of topics and we're running out of time do you want to close us out this evening I want to thank you all for tuning in to this uh Two Kings in a Pod. I'm excited about the the merchandise we got coming for y'all. Facts. Uh, I'm excited about the just the branding and marketing. Uh, you know, you got a marketing genius on the show, and Chris, <laughs> and C. Will Holler. I'm just excited about the direction that this podcast is going. I listened to a podcast today, and I'm like, I know we got it. And... I know we got it, man. You know oh, we got it. We got the sauce, man. <clears throat> we got it. They say drip. <laughs> you know. Say so we got a leaky faucet, man. <laughs> My boy Ply say we got drip for sale. Yeah, drip for sale. <laughs> <laughs> well, I listened to a clip from him today that they had me crying. I know you miss me. You miss me. You miss me. You miss me. I said this dude is nuts, man. That dude has 7.1 million followers. Think about how amazing that is for him to be a, a caricature of himself and be a rapper and career fall off and just be himself and to revitalize everything, even his music. I'm talking about 7.1 million followers. Plies. Or as my yeah. homegirl Maya called him one time, please. Please. <laughs> She's like, I got these tickets to see. I'll say, who who in concert? I don't know. Some guy named Please. 
was like, uh, please. Please. I said, spell it. P L I E S. I said, oh, plies. Plies. That's amazing to me, man. Plies just being himself and Facts. his career got revitalized. His career now is better than it was back then because now he's in the social media age taking off. He would have never had seven million followers or nothing back then. No, not coming out of South Florida. Absolutely not. He wouldn't have seven million albums bought, nothing, none of that. So the fact that he got 7.1 million followers is hope to anybody listening that you can be successful and let me take it back. You will be successful being yourself. Facts. And on that note, we want to bring the podcast to a close. Thank you all, all for tuning in to Two Kings in a Pod with your host, C. Will Holler, and your co-host, Mr. He is Blanchard. <laughs>